You're listening to episode 193 of The Amazing Comics Pals. We're, we're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Well, it's with a heavy heart that I'm here to announce that the Comics Pals are going to have to cancel the final leg of the Summer Jamboree Tour. No! Yep, yeah, it really sucks because we had already printed out 500,000 copies of the 4th of July Marco swimsuit calendar, and we wanted to give them to all of you. What a waste. I know. He's dressed up like Uncle Sam for July. That one's really good. He's got, he waxes mm-hmm. bikini zone. I was the, uh, the, a snow bunny for December, looking forward to the seasons, of course. Oh. <laughs> what you what you guys can look forward to though is in a couple weeks we're going to you know do the event anyway inside no crowd though and you know we're just going to shoot it real cinematically you know we'll fight on top of a roof it'll be great tastefully <laughs> that, was, that was a wrestling joke I got oh, you I, got it. <laughs> oh, I, I tried mind. guys Palsamania <laughs> oh um, did that get canceled too well we're keeping our fingers well, no, we're, crossed we're, we're reworking it it'll be okay um <laughs> I, I hope we can give these 500,000 calendars to charity if they'll take them. I'm just picturing kind of, you know, remote communities around the planet with calendars of Marco in their wall. It, it might be okay. You know how you'll see people um, people in different countries or from different countries and they'll just have a shirt that, that it's like an American shirt, but it's kind of out of place. Like, it'll uh, say like it'll say like the uh, '98 Utah Jazz NBA champions, even though they lost the Bulls. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> Carl Malone, the mailman, he delivered that uh, to that country. <laughs> so it's like, like you imagine like all these calendars of Marco are all around the world, and like he becomes an international figure, but like no one knows what the Comics Pals is at all. Like it's just he becomes so recognizable. <laughs> but he's like a mysterious model. They're like, who is this Marco? I could really see that genuinely happening with Marco. <laughs> Bro, they're gonna be they're gonna be in love with the the fall edition. Me jumping around with leaves like that'll be that'll be the one. They'll be like, oh, that's that guy. See, I was thinking we go for at, maybe maybe that's the first one of fall. Maybe for like November, we we go for like a lumberjack look. You know, you're shirtless, oh. but you got like the real thick boots. You know, yeah, and yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. chopping down a fucking tree, glistening in sweat. I don't know, man. I feel like it'll work. I'm about it with with the like the overall straps, just kind of like one hanging down. I'm about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm right. envisioning it. You got the you got the axe kind of nestled between your butt cheeks. Just oh, Whoa, all see, right. This Phil, you always you always take it too far. You always take it too far, Phil. It, officially, we're done with that now. So, no, Phil, it's not far enough. If if you want if you want the calendar. Uh, write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, <laughs> Phil will send it to you. Phil will send it to you. He's in Bro, charge I've been of known to commit. <laughs> That's true. Speaking of commitment, speaking of commitment, uh, actually, before we speak about commitment, I do want to let you guys know where else you can get us. Uh, we're on social media at the Comics Pals. And if you're watching this on YouTube, we appreciate you. And you can leave us a like. Drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel so that you uh, can enjoy more content like this. And commit hit the to notification us. bell so you what? Say commit to us. Yeah, 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's all yeah. about commitment at the end of the day. Uh, so commit to us by subscribing to our channel and subscribing to us on podcast hosting platforms. That's the kind of commitment I want to see. Join our Discord. Come hang out with us. We've got lots of uh, fun stuff going on over there all the time. Uh, can't can't really think of a specific conversation we had this week over there. Um, but, uh, uh, actually, uh, America, like all the <laughs> All America comics. Um, we've oh. been talking about how apparently Joe Casey who was the My original. Dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Phil's dad was the original creator of America Chavez, and was so frustrated with the direction that Marvel has taken the character, decided to take make his own America Vasquez in Image Comics and write that comic. Dude, I love when like creators are low-key, that kind of petty, where they're like, you know what, I'm going to take my idea that I started at Marvel or DC and just take it to Image, finish it there, so I don't get sued, I'll change it up a little bit. It's always good. That's what I mean, Walt that's... Simonson did. Right, with Thor. Yep. And that's pretty like good, the... too. That's like the whole story of how Image basically started. It's like, well, fine, we're gonna go start our own thing. It's like, look at like Youngblood. Like half the Youngblood characters were characters that were going to appear. Like uh, Prophet, which we did a book club on, was going to be an X Men character. Wow. Here's uh, you like Spider Man? Well, here's Spider Person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I love whatever. It. They got be- like six belts and a bunch of pouches on their pants. You'll like them. It's fine. So let let's let's get back to talking about commitment. Oh yeah, the Killer Be Killed book club. By the way, out right now. Really great. Woo! Go give that a listen. I think collectively we are really proud of it. Uh, so speaking of commitment, Marco lost a bet. For those of you who have been following the storyline, of course, you know that Marco challenged me to Smash Brothers, um, and we had our battle. We had our big battle over at Twitch TV slash Comics Pals, and I beat him. It was 5-2. Really? uh, In a first-to-five series. Yeah, I know. It's incredible. Uh, I really had to persevere. (laughs) Uh, You know, there were times I wasn't sure I was going to make it. But uh, I came around. So we're, we're proud of you, bud. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that, man. Uh, so the bet was that if Marco lost, he would have to read physically an event comic of my choosing. Now, of course, I'm not going to choose something great. You know, I'm not going to say, hey, read Kingdom Come. Go have the time Ooh. of your life. No. <laughs> Go read something horrible. So... <laughs> Over at the Comics Pals Discord, we put our heads together and we came up with the greatest bad event we could think of at the time, which was uh, recommended by Sultan of Swing. That, of course, is the Onslaught event at Marvel Comics. And Marco has had to go to some great lengths to pick up this entire event, haven't you? I have. Uh, Apparently, (laughs) Marvel no longer prints... A number of these books I, uh, I tried to get them as the, I, I also wonder why I mean it's supposed to be of such great quality I just odd that they wouldn't you know want to capitalize on it but they they only have four large paperbacks for it the complete epic of onslaught is broken out into four trades I could find one for a reasonable price and apparently a reasonable price for any one of these trades is less than $75 um because the next volume two started at 72 
or 75 then like volume three at 90 something and um if you go over i think it was last episode but we were poking around amazon and we found mm-hmm. that volume four used with some writing inside of it came out to i think about 300 dollars. yeah it was like two or three hundred dollars it was not cheap so uh i had to find alternatives and uh i settled for having to get each issue individually of the entire event (laughs) (laughs) and purchasing it that way a total a total of one trade and about 33 issues oh my god marco let me do a gut check with you here how are you feeling about all this (laughs) oh i'm pumped i'm i mean i i can't wait to read floppies get to see the back matter look at what kind of odd ads that they had and then and then oh and then obviously read the event but <laughs> what year did this come out 97 yeah oh dude an expert on this topic when we come back like i want you to be like an encyclopedia on this when we get back like, oh yeah i remember the reading the impetus behind issue four you see was I, I, that's what i want i'm gonna have all of it uh, listed out in a book report to that I'm going to be presenting to the rest of the pals. <laughs> we'll be able to dissect it a little bit, and um, can't wait. yeah, I mean, I'm 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 pumped. I, can't I am very excited for the reverse book club. I can't wait. Reverse I book club. yep yep, and we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna have you presenting regularly. And let us know your progress and things like that. It's going to be awesome. Um, I, just, I can't get over the, the poetry here. Like the real onslaught with Sean ripping out your spine and smash, and now you got to read onslaught. It's just beautiful. It's like and, and cruel poetry. There may be people who say or feel that this is cruel or, you know, this is wrong or whatever. And to that, I say, yeah, you're right. Uh, that was the point. <laughs> That's what Marco agreed to. <laughs> so let's not cry now. This is this is what it is, you know. And yeah. and to Marco's credit, I will say, he's taking it like a champ. He's saying, "Okay, saddle up. I gotta read this shit. Let's do it." Marco's let's a masochist, bro. That's the thing. Is that he wants it? He wants to suffer. Sean, I, I'm glad you I mentioned wanna... human rights groups have reached out to us saying <laughs> what you're doing is a war crime. <laughs> you're damn right. <laughs> I'm gonna poison that motherfucker's water supply. <laughs> There's no quarter. What are we, I mean, why would I? Why would I relent? We're at war. This is what it is. This is what happens. You know. <laughs> Let's not forget. Marco was the one who cast the first stone. Right. <laughs> I don't start it, but I end it. That's what my mom taught me. Not true. <laughs> um, I never start shit, but always end shit. <laughs> <laughs> so. I did want to say uh, happy 4th of July for us. It is currently the 4th of July. We're recording this on a holiday, so be grateful. Um, I want to say th- uh, happy birthday, of course. Got to put the shout out uh, to America. <laughs> not, not to Kale? Okay. Well, he's as old as America. I was going to keep it going. I wanted to see who else we could say happy birthday to. Captain America, maybe. Maybe it's Superman's birthday. I don't know. But yes, America happy Chavez. birthday. America Chavez, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, no, happy birthday, Kale. That's why he's not here today. He's celebrating his birthday. Although, I'm not sure 
what kind of celebration he can do right now, given that where is he he's at? 400 years he's old, in, too. He's I mean. in Luxembourg. Right. I don't know how they celebrate birthdays in Luxembourg, but. I think at the old folks home, they give him a cake. Nice. Yeah, I think they give him a cake at the old folks home. I don't think That's it has good. any frosting on it, but like, you know. His heart can't take counts. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to just end it. It's his birthday. That's fine. My man doesn't get a happy ending. It's okay. Damn. Nice. Oh, is and is Jess also there? You know, the, the no, no, she's home? she's living on her own in like a Golden Girls scenario, and she goes and visits Kale, you know, a couple times a week. Okay, <laughs> used to be every day, but it just got to be a little bit much. Damn, <laughs> had to scale that back. Grandpa's really depressing. <laughs> so he was already a sad sack before he was in the home, but now, uh, I don't know. So. I wanted to let you guys know that uh, just a little little note uh, that I think you might like. Netflix now has what some people say is the best Batman movie on it, and that is Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, true. Oh, really? Yes. Cool. Yes. Why the fuck did that get added to Netflix of all places? It's a Fox property. Oh, that makes even less sense. It was because Batman the animated series was on Fox Kids and it's run, and then it was when they made the movie, it was distributed by Fox Studios. Huh. Okay. Interesting. That's just weird. It's super weird that like it's a DC property that's owned by Warner. It's not on Warner or DC's app, but it's because it's owned by Fox, which is now owned by Disney, so they'll sell it to Netflix. Okay. It's just yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, Pete. It's fucking weird because we live in a like weird all media's cut up in gang territories, I guess now, but whatever. Especially back then. <laughs> yeah, uh I, there are several stories like that of weird rights issues. Uh you look look at the the history of Spider-Man on on TV and it's so crazy, you know. The reasons why some of those shows have been canceled like Oh, we don't have the rights anymore. Like once, once um, stuff got weird with Marvel and and then being bought by Disney and Sony, it's just just crazy. Well, it makes yeah, me think of the Netflix show. thing with the Netflix shows. I mean, oh yes. yeah, 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 same kind of thing, right? Yeah, where like the the <laughs> the deal was altered, so now they like live in this weird limbo, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it reminds me of specifically um, Spectacular Spider Man and Earth's yeah. Mightiest Heroes. Those shows both whipped, and they both got canceled because of the the Disney acquisition. Because it was well, like I think Sony produced the Spectacular Spider Man show. Earth's Mightiest Heroes was actually on Disney. Uh, that's where it aired. that was like Disney XD, right? Right, yeah, and they like canceled it because they wanted to make a different Avengers show that was more kind of in line with the theatrical versions. Yeah, and that show sucked. That's my understanding. I didn't. I never actually watched it. I, I saw the pilot of it at a Comic-Con panel and was like, mm-mm, no. <laughs> Sean, did you ever go back and watch Earth's Mightiest Heroes? No, I haven't. I haven't you actually should. opened Disney Plus since I finished watching the X-Men animated series. Okay. You'd really like it. It's very good. I've <laughs> seen, I've seen like, a handful of episodes in the past while it was airing, 
and it seemed pretty good. I just ne- I've never sat down and like dug in. So maybe that's a, a project I can take on. I've been wanting an animated show to watch. I've actually been wait. Uh, I've I've been waiting for Yu Gi Oh to get on. Yes, <laughs> hell yeah! We just nice. activated your trap card. <laughs> oh my god! I love how you started laughing before you even said it because you're like, this is embarrassing, but I'm gonna say it anyway. <laughs> that's Bro, season one, good. man. It's Yo, time dude, to d- d- I'm d- with d- you. duel. Yeah. Yo, my favorite thing about that did it did it duel thing is that like, I feel like I remember it a lot less jagged and early 2000s like bad editing in Adobe Premiere than it was where it's just like him going it's so fucking weird bro watch out for Sean when he collects all five Exodia cards oh that's so funny that you say that uh I got a I got a birthday gift from a friend of mine it was a it's a a Yu-Gi-Oh game on PlayStation uh he still plays the card game. He wants to engage with me in some way because that's how we used to, uh, you know, that's what we used to get together for. So he got me this game, and that's part of why now I want to see the show again. And in the game, I built an Exodia deck. And uh, for those of you who who maybe are familiar, you're, like, allowed one copy of, of each piece. And if you get them all, you win the game. Well, the game doesn't have those rules so like i have multiple copies of exodia pieces <laughs> in my deck um it's it's a pretty fun game which yeah. is this is like it? a newer game or is it an older one yeah it's called uh legacy of the duelist okay. oh that one's oh, good it was after the game boy advance no i think the ds no guys just it's it on ps4 and it's oh, new. I, I just asked How that could question. It be? Oh, new, new? I was like, is it new or is it old? And he's like, no, no, it's new. Like, <laughs> so it's like not on the DS then. Oh my god! I'm pre- Shit, that's fucking me up. Fucking amateur. Oh wait, is here. it is it part of a like what number is it? Number number? What do you mean number? There's like thirty Yu Gi Oh games. What do you mean? Yeah, what yeah no, no, because there's different Legend of the Duelists. I think it goes up to like six or something. Well, this is called Legacy of the Duelist, um, uh. and it doesn't have a number. It's just called Link Evolution. So, give it a yeah, give it dude, a shot. I used Mark, to fuck right? with those games back in the day. Those were so much fun. Yu-Gi-Oh games are very good. Yes, I remember the the one on the GBA that Phil's talking about. I remember you if uh, all the cards had like a code at the bottom of them, and you could like scan your cards in and remake your own deck. Um, which was just fucking rad. It was like, wow, this is amazing. I love this. I spend an insane amount of time sitting there putting those damn codes in. Yeah, dude. When I first bought the game, yeah. I cataloged every card I had and was like, all right, cool. I have almost the whole set now in game. Like, let's not to play. go too far down the rabbit hole, but there was a PlayStation 2 game that was not really traditional Yu-Gi-Oh. It was called Duelist of the Roses. Yes. That yes. was like my all-time Sean favorite just came game. Alive. <laughs> it was so cool because it was like a board game type setup where you would like have a king like in chess, and then you would summon different monsters and like. Oh, was, I remember that. I never it played it, but so I remember. Cool. I think I remember seeing like a Game Informer piece about it or something. And there's like no other game like it. I've looked for other games like it, and nothing exists like it. And Weird. like. There were some jankity things in the PS2 version. Like it was really difficult to get like a blue eyes white dragon or a, or, or a red eyes black dragon or a dark magician, and it was it, it's I've like gone back to play the PlayStation 2 just to play this game. Dude, <laughs> when you come 
here we're playing that game hell yeah i love that game so much yo yo listen no you guys gotta come here and do it so i can record you playing it we're gonna make a let's play (laughs) i'm not allowed the coronavirus keeps me from traveling well i don't mean right now Uh, well phil could come right now we always like the same cool shit that's right that's right uh you know who else likes cool shit Steve, who wrote to us, uh, he likes cool stuff. He likes us, and uh, I guess that makes cool us cool. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Pete, cool. you want to read what he had to say to us this week when he wrote in? Yeah, so Steve wrote in on our last episode, 192, and said, Hey, pals, two quick thoughts. Regarding the zero issue for Empire, I agree it's not really done correctly. To me, a zero issue should be for bringing whatever you need to know history or context-wise to the forefront. This issue does an okay job at filling in some of the historical context, but it also acts as basically issue one of the series. I'd rather a zero issue spend a few pages explaining what has happened in the past. Don't just put in editor's note next to a dialogue box saying, see this issue. Show us what happened, get everyone up to speed in a fun way, flashback, discussion between the characters, whatever. When they say, uh, when they just say, well, one day long ago this happened and that's it, what's even the point? They should be going deeper as far as the setup. To me, the Avengers getting a distress call on the moon, also, where are the Inhumans right now? Isn't set up, um, oh, sorry, that was like an aside. Where, also, where are the Inhumans right now? Isn't set up, it's just not, it's just the story. It's issue one. Zero should set up the history of the story, not just start the story. I hope this makes as much sense reading aloud as it does in my head and isn't coming across incoherent. No, no, you're totally good here, Steve. Uh, I enjoyed the issue, and the coloring is awesome, but to me, this is really just an issue one, and I think publishers just want to say issue zero now because it sounds cooler. So that's number one. Let's start there. I, hmm, I don't know, first things first, I don't know if, like, I don't know if an issue zero makes it sound cooler. Like, traditionally, I avoid zero issues because I'm like, nothing's gonna happen. (laughs) This is not where the book actually starts. It starts at one. That's like been my historical kind of approach to things. I don't think it sounds cooler. To me, it's like, oh, optional. Yeah, I, that's how I look at it, too. Like when I see a zero issue, to me, I think of it as this issue exists for people that aren't reading right now. Right. Like it exists as context, not necessarily like it's that important. Um, so, yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think of it as like a marketing tool, but I don't think <clears throat> I don't think of it in the same way as like when there was that period a few years ago where it was like we were getting new number ones like every other, you know, few months. And it was that's very much like a, a marketing tool because people will buy a number one. So back in the day, this issue wouldn't have been a zero issue because Marvel didn't really do zero issues, at least when I started reading comics, I don't really think I ever saw zero issues. It would be it would have it'd be called Empire, and then it would have an additional name, you know. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. Road to and, Empire. And, yeah, that's a good example. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good example. That's the kind of thing that Marvel would have done in the past, and so the the switch to zero. I think what that did was. It made people feel like, okay, this is more directly connected than uh, some kind of tie-in. Like, it, 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 it's 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 zero to, let's say it, it ends with issue six, zero to six, not one to six, but also you better read The Road to Empire so that you can be caught up. Now, a book called The Road to Empire in 2006 
Like if there was a book called Road to Civil War, which there is, that is that would actually just be um, different events, like different things that have happened in the books that have led to that compiled into a, a comic, not new content. So for me, the zero issue is just the same thing they used to do, but adding that zero so that people feel like it's as must read as one, two, three, four, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's interesting that you guys feel like it's not necessarily worth your time because it's a zero issue. Maybe we've been trained that way, and I don't think... I don't think historically zero issues have really proven the contrary because I feel like so often the inciting incident of an event is issue one. Like that would be where it's like, this is why this is turning into an event, right? Um, Maybe zero kind of serves as a preamble, but I just don't think historically that's another, that's a pretty good question. Like what's the most eventful zero issue to ever drop? I think I think to to the to your point, Phil. Like, um, I remember zero issues specifically for like New Fifty Two and how they would like introduce characters overall versus a specific plot or like a a line. Like there was that whole thing in between. I think like everyone's run from like thirteen or fourteen or something that Aquaman Zero, Batman Zero. Like like it was all stuff that didn't necessarily relate to the plot, but was just like, hey, this is an introduction to the character. This is like a thing. So I think to your point on us being trained to react a certain way to a zero issue maybe uh, some of the publishers are still trying to redefine how we should be accepting it and and if it's to something like this where it has to be preamble to a story or like lead up and give us context i think that they're still trying to figure that out the same way that we were trying to figure it out while we were Mm. reviewing it I definitely think they're trying to train us to want to buy zero issues. The question then is exactly yeah. what you're saying, Marco, is are they succeeding? And if we're left asking the same questions the publisher is asking, then I question that. I would state maybe that it's not succeeding. <clears throat> I will say, though, I think to the point that Sean made earlier, I think I think the way that they're being used is good because I think it, it creates like clarity Right, like for the brand, where it is easy to see, like, okay, this is a zero issue for this event or this thing I want to read, so I should probably read this. Like, I should pick this up. Not like, uh, I think Civil War is honestly the best example, or at least the example that I'm the most familiar with. Where I remember, um, I don't know if you guys remember at the time uh, or shortly thereafter, Marvel put out that big hardcover for Civil War that was like the six issues of Civil War, and then like back matter and art and like it was you know like one of those nice presentation books but you're missing so much of the story if you just read the six civil war issues right like that like all of the tie-ins are really important to the actual story and like a lot of the big beats of civil war like take place in the side stuff or like you know i think of like the the fallen sun um captain america I, I only read it as a floppy. I don't know what issues it was, but it was like the the aftermath of of like Cap being assassinated and everything. Like, there's so many bits and pieces that you don't get if you just look at that. You know what was sold as Civil War. So like, I kind of like the idea of zero issues being used as a way to expand a little bit on that without making it feel like some other thing that 
isn't required reading, right? Like, oh, that's extra, or oh, that's a side story, or whatever, when it's really, that's a lot of the meat of the, the event. Yeah, I am, I am with that, and I think uh, as an idea, I like zero issues, but I I would like to see, I mean, this is just an instance where it went wrong, but I, there are others like Secret Empire Zero where they went right. So, you know, a miss, but it's okay. Next week we get Fantastic Four, uh, Empire Fantastic Four, and we'll see if that one is a little better. Um, yeah, let's the blanks. get on to his next point. Yeah, so number two, uh, this is going back a while, but I'm working through your older episodes. Uh, when you were reviewing the Infinity event and wondering if someone with no knowledge could follow it, well, I don't know shit coming in. Uh, I never read Bendis or Hickman's Avengers or New Avengers or Fantastic Four or Time, Run at, Time Runs Out, so I truly knew nothing. And I have to say, I was friggin' lost. I didn't know what the star brand was, who the builders were, nothing. Now, it was still fun, and the art was tremendous, so I enjoyed it overall, but I'm definitely going to have to go back and read the building stories leading up to it and then reread it. So hopefully that lends some insight on how someone not know, or knowing nothing viewed that story. Sorry. Keep it up. Your friendship is evident in the shows, and it feels like hanging out with your, well, pals and talking comics and having fun. Steve. Thanks for being our pal, Steve. Yeah, man. Thank you. Appreciate um, that. Yeah, I not knowing anything about any of those books, I could totally see coming into that and being like, "Wow, there are a lot of pieces here that I just." Whoosh, you know? So I had not. So I went in Infinity fairly blind, and a lot of the concepts laid out in Infinity are, as it turns out, in earlier Jonathan Hickman stuff. You mentioned the builders. That's that's a Jonathan Hickman idea, and that's something I didn't know going in Infinity because I hadn't read any of his Avengers run. Um, I, 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 it's been a while since we read that. I think that was like earlier this year. I, I, I maybe back in February or something. Um, it, I think the Hickman stuff's worth going back and reading, but I, you know, sometimes when you read books like this, uh, you know, like a wiki is a good tool. <laughs> yeah. But I, I will... In this example, like, Hickman's stuff is really good. So if you liked this, like, it's probably worth going back and reading anyway. Yeah. And I think also, um, like, for me, I, I typically get frustrated by some of these books because of how much you sort of need to know, not just in terms of events, but uh, on an individual character basis to be able to form, to be able to empathize with some of these characters because they have previous actions that, result in certain consequences that paint them in certain ways and i think that that's hard to relate to if you have no context um my my advice is always just coming in as open as you can because and because it makes it easier for you to follow the story if you're confused yeah definitely use a wiki or something but uh, to feel the beats i think you have to just kind of in the moment empathize with what's going on versus try to think about it historically and that's sometimes hard if you don't know the characters like i do all the time uh, <laughs> or, or or generally like for for some of the events um like if, if there's context and you don't know you just kind of have to live with that gap um and and try to fill in the pieces with whatever context you can i i really love comic books and i think that this what we're talking about is one of those things that's I, I think it's I think it's 
fairly unique to comics. Um, and we're seeing it now with the movies, too, where comic books don't have... They don't often have, like, a fantastic starting point for you. And, you know, you could say, all right, I'm going to start right here with, you know, uh, Avengers number one by Jonathan Hickman. Cool. You don't know what the history is with the Illuminati. Uh, You don't know necessarily the history of these characters. There's so much you don't know. And you could say, I'm going to start with Infinity. And you start with Infinity and it's like, wow, this is so crazy. What's happening? And there's so (laughs) much for you to go back and enjoy that you can pick up and read and be like, oh, man, this this is incredible stuff. And other mediums don't have that in quite the same way. Yeah, you could start watching Game of Thrones in season five and then go back and watch all those other seasons, but they have like a, a hard starting point and a hard ending point, and that's it. And comics have so much more for you. Uh, more mainstream comics, I guess, like big two stuff. Um, yeah, superhero stuff. Yeah, superhero comics are like that. But it's unique and it's pretty cool. And with the movies now, you know, you might start watching the movies with Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or like Avengers 3 or something like that. And there's so much more out there for you to consume i love that uh i'm glad that you are going back and checking out our older book clubs and things like that i think if you if you enjoyed infinity there's absolutely no reason to go but to not go back and check all that stuff out and go go read secret wars as well it's phenomenal you will love it i promise um, and then as far as your point about our friendship and stuff, thank you, man. I really appreciate that you're enjoying the show and I appreciate that you are a pal of ours. So thank you. And if you're not on our discord server, you should come hang out. I yeah, think you'll have a good time. I yeah. love that. We've tricked everyone to thinking that we're friends. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> we're just very good podcasters. We're great actors. Well. Uh, and then Steve did have a PS he said PS do you guys still do the video game pals podcast I remember seeing it a while ago in my (laughs) show searches but I can't find it anymore so yeah the show's been uh, on hiatus since episode 100 which was quite some time ago and I did not expect the break to be this long Uh, I'm always thinking about what the right way to bring that back is Um, so keep tuned Hmm. there you have it all right. I like it. Uh, you know what just had a birthday? What else just had a birthday? We, we, we established Kale in America, but what else? Anybody got any ideas? Um, Mario. <laughs> oh. Sonic. No. I guess I have to take a guess, too. Uh, it's a movie. It? Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Back to the Future. No. Shit. <laughs> it did though it did have a birthday recently is what it, podcast is this is it alien or predator <laughs> no. it's it's spider-man 2 okay swing and a miss boys swing and a miss <laughs> yes. the operative word being swing oh swing and a miss. <laughs> spider-man 2 just turned 16 Fuck, oh my god, (laughs) that makes me feel so old. Yeah, yeah. Somehow thought it was older. (laughs) June 30th. I know, I was like, wait a second, really? 
But yeah, it came <laughs> out. How old uh, was I when that fucking came out? <laughs> well, how old were you on June 30th, 2004? Because that's when Where it came were out. you June 30th, 2004, Pete? <laughs> I was watching Spider-Man 2. I don't know A where. likely story. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was too. I was too. Uh, I think it's it's amazing that that movie has endured in the hearts and minds of fans for so long. It's not crazy because it, you know, it's it, you know, it's not like it came out in the '80s or something. It's not like a little-known movie. Obviously, it's a <laughs> massive success. Um, but we've had so many more Spider-Man movies come out since then. So many more comic book movies that this movie feels kind of small in comparison, and yet. If you think back to 2004 and what it was like when this movie was coming out, I mean, it was a really big deal. Like, it it really mattered that Spider-Man 2 was coming out. And every time that I saw this movie in theaters or Spider-Man 3, the, the crowd felt so engaged in a way that they're not always. It was something truly special about this movie in particular and Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 3 as well. I mean, everybody hates it now, but... Every audience that I saw that movie with was along for the ride with every beat. Yeah. We talked about that where I showed, I think we both have said how like coming out of that movie at the time, I was like, oh, that was so hype. And then it wasn't until like the second or third time where I was like, this is really not that good like compared to the other ones. But I don't know, man. I, I think that there is like a lot of hindsight where people look at those movies now and like criticize things about them. Um, and they're certainly not above uh, criticism, but I really think the first two Spider-Man movies are are special, um, and I think particularly like the first one hit at such a like relevant time socially that I think that was such a huge part of why it was a big success and like why like we as Americans really connected with it, you know, and like I think that really helped the juice going into Spider-Man two because that first movie was such a like cultural moment, you know, that like the idea of the follow-up to that was so exciting. I think Spider-Man 2 is the best live-action Spider-Man movie we've ever gotten. Uh, I don't I, I don't think it's any... I don't even think it's close, really. I think it's really in its own tier of goodness. Um, and it's funny, because you're right. In, in the culture, there was a real fervor about Spider-Man 2. People were just so excited to see it. Yeah. And... There was something. There was something really cinematic about it from its like conclusion yeah. too. Um, that's and the music's really good in, in those movies. I I, I, I still can. I, I still fondly remember how this, the score goes in those movies. Um, one thing that's often criticized for better or worse in many of the MCU movies is the, the lack of a memorable or like score. Uh, yeah. yeah, theme. Like the Avengers have a memorable score, like the the main Avengers theme. But beyond ba, ba, that, ba, ba, ba. yeah, <laughs> that's really it, right? Um, just a all around terrific movie. I have, and that was like so definitive for my childhood. And another thing is, I remember these two Spider Man movies being the launching point for a lot of people my age going to read comics. Specifically, I don't know if this was your experience, Pete, but reading Ultimate Spider Man. I actually got into Ultimate Spider-Man a few years later after it had already kind of been established. Um, but the the first Spider-Man movie was definitely huge in cementing my connection to the character because I had already liked Spider-Man as a kid. Like I had a lot of those like 
super cool toys that came out in the 90s and like i watched the cartoon and stuff the cartoon but, made good toys um it was like it was really the the, the first raimi movie that like um i think i've told this story on the show before but it was like around the time that um my mom had cancer and you know like for whatever reason the that like i connected with like the the uncle ben storyline in it you know like through that and kind of like taking this painful thing that happened to you and trying to turn it into something positive like that really struck a chord with me at a really important and impressionable time you know and i think that like is why i connected with spider-man the way that i did you know yeah i i think i think that character in those movies really helped it really had that every man feeling like Tobey Maguire, your mileage on him as an actor may vary, but I think that those two movies really did a good job of making him feel like an every man. Cause it really connected to those early Steve Ditko and Stan Lee stories where he's yeah. really just trying to balance life and doing a terrible job of it. And yeah, he's just kind of down on his luck. And it's something that you don't see with any, like any Marvel or DC movie these days is like the games had really good, the movies had really good synergy with these games that were coming out at the same time that were excellent for the time. Those mm. were so fun. Yeah. The first two are so good. Spider-Man 2, the video game, I mean, I don't know how good it is if you go back now, but if you were alive back then and, and into video games, then you probably know how well-regarded this game was. Spider-Man 2 was like the game, certainly the comic book game. Uh, at at that time for many years there's probably still people who would have said it was the best Spider-Man game up until Marvel's Spider-Man came out yeah um, last year or a couple I, years ago whatever I, I I'd say that's pretty like undis except for maybe Ultimate Spider-Man on the PS2 which also was very good was um, really good like yeah Spider-Man 2 was like I think until Arkham Asylum it was like the benchmark for superhero games of right. like this is the best one we've gotten so far and you don't you don't really see that with like movies anymore like like star wars revenge of the sith had a game that came out at the same time like this was like a thing that was common practice but like was there you know i don't know was there a dark knight rises game not really was you know what i mean yeah that was that yeah i mean that's like that licensed games in general are just a trend that really fell off right over time you know they were bad by and large. Yeah. Like a lot of those games sucked and it was a ripoff and I think they stopped <laughs> selling. So, I mean, yeah. there was a, there was a Captain America game. There was an Iron Man game. That yes, Iron Man game, I've said it here on the show before. That was the worst gift. It was the worst <laughs> gift I've ever gotten. Um, it, as, in terms of like a, a, a gift related to what I actually like, yeah. that was the worst gift I've it ever was, gotten. Did you have it on Wii? No, on PlayStation 3. Bro, it was disgusting. My buddy rented the Wii version, and I remember we played it for like an hour and a half, and we would like literally were like, yo, to his mom, like, we got to go back to Blockbuster. This is bullshit. Like, this game fucking sucks. <laughs> we took yeah. it back that day, and we're like, nah, like, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to read this, this tweet. It's from at PSN Games UN. Uh, and it says, I believe Roger Ebert summed it up perfectly. Quote, the movie, referencing Spider-Man 2, demonstrates what's wrong with a lot of other superhero epics. They focus on the superpowers and shortchange the humans behind them. 
Spider-Man 2 continues to be the best on-screen adaptation of the character. I think that that is something that I, I wish the movies would take a cue from a little bit more. If, you, if, if anything could be learned from the original Spider-Man trilogy, it's that people care just as much, if not more so, about the person under the mask as they do about the powers that that character has. And I think one of the reasons why those Spider-Man movies connected so well is because of how great a job everyone involved did in bringing it to life in a real way. Peter felt like a person. He felt like a human, not just a walking stick with powers. And since then, we've gotten so caught up with the powers that these characters have and what they can do, that sometimes we don't stop and let moments breathe and let them be humans. Yeah. And um, I, I just wanted to make one point about uh, with Peter. Uh, it reminds me of something that Phil said before, where, like, I think, especially now, I think there's been a lot of, um, like, people like to shit on Tobey Maguire, right? And, like, like you said, your mileage may vary with him as an actor. Um, but what I think he really does well in those movies is he comes across as vulnerable. And I don't think that that's a thing that superhero movies are interested in portraying most of the time. You know, is like, even if a character has doubts in themselves or or whatever, like, I, I, I feel like Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker... You know, there's a lot of um, just like real human struggle that he that he gets across really well, you know, and and it's like less about, you know, um, the struggle of being Spider-Man and more about just like the struggle of like, you know, not letting down the people in his life, you know, and and trying to be a good person and, and those sorts of things. And I think he has an earnestness to him that I think plays really well. I think of other Spider-Man movies, you know, the Andrew Garfield movies. Uh, does he ever feel vulnerable in those movies? You know, he's a cool kid. He's, he winds up with, like, Emma Stone. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't feel like Spider-Man in those movies. Fair enough. I don't even want to get into that debate today. Okay. We're, We're talking about Spider-Man, Spider-Man too. too. but uh just thought we would acknowledge the 16 years that it's been since spider-man 2 came out sam raimi of course gonna be returning to comic book movies with uh doctor strange 2 uh that's pretty cool and hopefully hopefully he can bring a little bit of you know what he did with the spider-man franchise over to the mcu Let's uh, let's get into the pals polls, and we've got a lot of other things going on today. Uh, so you know, strap in because we're going to be talking about uh, Marvel getting the rights to a couple different properties, a couple new properties, and uh, Tom King goes head to head with Superman. He's going to lose. Is, uh, an interesting story, actually. I think he won. <laughs> oh no! He had kryptonite. Yeah, he is bald. I think he won. Let's get into the pals pulls. Uh, we've got Philadelphia Volume One from Marco. That's where Pete and I live. So, 
What's up, baby? So this is a, um, I think it deals with like vampires and whatnot. Um, but I remember it. I, I remember getting seeing some news about it and it being a, a good book. Uh, be sort of teeters between horror and uh, like mystery. And it's written by Rodney Barnes, John, Jason Sean Alexander. I don't know too much about it, but um, just put it on my list. Awesome. Uh, I've actually heard good things about this. Wasn't that on the cool. Eisner list for a few things or something? Like, I feel like I've seen the name a lot recently. Can't say I remember. Hmm. Uh, Phil, you, you cracked me up with that Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, so... My girlfriend used to live in in Riverdale, oh, in New uh, York. The, uh, the TV oh, no. show. <laughs> <laughs> she going to Pop's Chocolate Shop and uh, going to the sock hops, or what's up? <laughs> no, it's worse. Uh, so they they used to refer to to Riverdale as I I think, and I hope this was a joke, as Triggerdale. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Riverdale is known for being like a very nice, you know, mm-hmm. lily white neighborhood. It's like but the they nice refer part of the Bronx. It, yeah, exactly. It's like the nice part of the Bronx. And they refer to it as Triggerdale. Damn. And I used to think that was so funny because it's like <laughs> I know no one's busting guns in Riverdale. <laughs> It's a different kind right. of trigger. See, I thought when you when you said I, I hope people were joking, I was like, oh no, like are people getting shot over there every day? Like shit. <laughs> the new Hell's Kitchen. That makes it trigger so Dale. much funnier that they're just being ironic. <laughs> uh Marco also chose Undiscovered Country, volume one. I think Sean and Phil, you guys read like the first few issues of this? Um and Only and me. and enjoyed it and had been hearing very good things about it so it's coming out in uh in a collected volume so I'm jumping on it I think the the premise is interesting and um I'm I'm curious about it so based on the last recorded book club that we did I can tell you based on like knowing what you're into that undiscovered country is something that you are going to devour because. Nice. It has a, 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 a an alt history, which is, yeah. I think, always cool, and I could see you liking that. Um, but it also has a deep, entrenched history in the sense that all of these things are very well planned out and plotted. The book has lots of back matter and things like that for you to follow so you can sort of piece together what's happening uh, it's it's epic, and I've been enjoying the book, so I think you're gonna love it too. And I hope you I hope you pick it up and, and really like it. It, it uh, I, I got the humble bundle for it, and it came included in it. So um, and actually, there's an image humble bundle out that you can get like twenty, thirty plus comics uh, for that twenty eighteen dollar threshold. Um, wow. and it was included in this one. So yeah, I I, I have it. And I'm, I'm excited to read it. If you that digital it, only. Right? It is digital only, yeah. Oh, gotta pass. If you do end up <laughs> devouring it, hopefully it'll serve as a great palate cleanser while you're devouring Onslaught. <laughs> I'm gonna need those in between, right? That's right. <laughs> to keep my 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 sanity. You're not allowed to read now. any other books <laughs> <laughs> other than Onslaught until you finish. 
No, I, I can't oh. make addendums. Uh, <laughs> so from Phil, we've got Absolute Fourth World by Jack Kirby. Yeah, I did not notice this. This is going to kill. First of all, uh, the omnibuses of the Fourth World series are really expensive because several of them are out of print. This collects uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, 133 through 139, which is and 141 through 148, where Darkseid first debuts, ironically enough. And the first what? 11 issues, that's 100% correct. And the first 11 issues of The New Gods, uh, The Forever People, 1 through 11, Mr. Miracle, 1 through 18. Um, so what I like most about Absolute Editions of books, and I only have three on my shelf, is... Uh, they are printed on archival paper, and they're much bigger than a regular trade or a hardcover or even an omnibus in that it really showcases the art that, you know, was how they were made and published. And Jack Kirby, who's truly the king of this industry, I love the idea of really what many people consider like his magnum opus uh printed as an absolute mm. like to me this is a must get if you're uh just an admirer of the history of this industry i'll definitely look at your copy <laughs> uh so i chose buffy the vampire slayer willow number one they're spinning uh willow off into her own little thing and this is awesome willow is one of the best characters out of the buffy universe by far and she has a really interesting journey in the show the comic is doing things a little bit differently but she's still badass and cool and the creative team is crazy good uh, Mariko Tamaki and Natasha Bustos. Uh, Mariko is a phenomenal writer. She did the Hulk series where She-Hulk was the main character a uh, couple years back at Marvel that I really loved. And unless I'm crazy, she also had a run on X-23, which was very good as well. So uh, I love the creative team. I love Willow. I love Buffy. I'm here for this. I will be buying this. Awesome, dude. I'm glad that yeah. those have been good for your sake. Like, uh, obviously, knowing you're such a big fan, like, getting a good continuation of that series must be so satisfying. It's one of the most satisfying things happening in comics. It gets hard sometimes to get really excited about things that are happening in comics because it's all so repetitive. Yeah. But... uh this has been fresh and exciting because, you know, we went through a lot of years where the Buffy comics were all right, you know, and sometimes less than all right. And this is just incredibly awesome and hopefully inspiring more people to go back and watch the series. So great stuff. I, I did real quick just want to call out um, the uh, image um, humble bundle that Marco referenced. It's called the Image Showcase Comic Showcase Bundle, and uh, as of the day that this goes live, you still have 15 days to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely go check it out if you're an image person or if like you've been thinking about it and you like reading digital. There's so like you're getting like several full series. Yes, here. like you get like fucking all six volumes of Nailbiter. Like, yep. 
uh, all five of um, of uh, Black Science. Like, oh, it's, like a ton, it's a ton of shit here. Like five volumes of Criminal, two volumes of Killer Be Killed, like we said, which we just did our book club on. Uh, four volumes of Monstrous, oh. uh, two of Snot Girl, three of Invincible, uh, my favorite book. Sex Criminals, you get two. Like, there's a, it's fucking insane. There's so many goddamn books on this list. They do these um, once every few years, and it's always a really good deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I Personally, I think this is, like, probably the best image bundle that they've done, for my taste anyway. Like, they're yeah. always good, but this one is, like, several books that I either, like, 500% stand by or that I've been really eager to check out and never took the plunge on. Um, so I'm definitely going to pick this up. And you get all of them for 18 bucks. That's a fucking steal. This is probably the most robust because I had actually gotten one previously back in like 2017 or something. And as I was, was looking for the email confirmation for this one, that one popped up. And it was like, oh, the number ones of all these or like maybe some collections. But this is legit like Like everything. whole runs whole of, of great books. Yeah. So let's jump into the news and kick things off with a bang. Uh, Marvel has acquired the rights to publish comics based on Alien franchise and the Predator franchise. Woo! I hope you guys IGN, are ready. Go ahead. IGN broke this news exclusively, and in the announcement, debuted some crazy crazy art okay i'll have to check that out Ooh, damn that yeah. fucking david finch cover i guess uh it's just just teaser image not, not damn a cover. that looks fucking sick yeah yeah they're both it, very good it, it, it's crazy the one with predator holding the iron man helmet on top of the fantastic four baxter building is it's like what the hell? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that looks like um, that looks like the kind of thing you'd see at like his booth at Comic Con, you know? Yeah. Of like, uh, oh, it's like a cool commission, you know? I and, thought that was the Avengers building. Oh yeah, it definitely is Avengers Tower. Oh it, oh oh sorry, yeah, I got, yeah, it is. It looks. I could totally see. It yeah. looks like the four. Yeah. yeah. Still looks like a four to me. <laughs> I think Marco's right though, because it's like. The he way has that like it's Iron Man. It doesn't matter. It's also the way that it's arced. Like it looks tighter than yeah. the the four is like wider. But yeah. I uh, totally see you. <laughs> in any event, yeah, this this artwork is is crazy gorgeous. Uh, Marvel has been acquiring a lot of things lately. They got Conan the Barbarian. Um, they got the Ultraman stuff. They got the rights to publish oh, yeah. Ultraman comics. Forgot about that. Uh, and now they've got Alien and Predator. But, of course, Disney now owns the rights to both franchises. So this is, you know, I think this was probably always going to happen in some in some way. Hopefully Dark Horse got a good chunk of change out of this deal. Um, but uh, otherwise, this is exciting. Um, C.B. Sabolsky said, There's nothing more thrilling than a story that will keep you at the edge of your seat. 
and Alien and Predator have delivered that time and time again. I can clearly remember where I was when I saw each of these modern masterpieces for the first time, and reveling in how both masterfully weave extraterrestrial dread and drama into some of the most iconic scenes we've ever seen on film. And it's that legacy that we're going to live up to. Um, I hope you guys are ready for the Darth Vader versus Alien versus Predator versus Conan versus Wolverine movie. <laughs> versus Mickey Mouse. Versus <laughs> X Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Is that going to be the new secret word? Yes. Jesus Christ. I hope not. Oh, um, oh Pluto, I have the Infinity Gauntlet, bitch. I'm, I'm not that worried about that, honestly, because like they've shown restraint with that so far right like oh, conan's, shucks. conan's in the marvel <laughs> universe which is weird but other than that it's not like it hasn't you know had that much synergy so Pete, can I it's also donald? <laughs> no i got nothing <laughs> my dad does a great donald i'll call him if you want <laughs> it, it's it's also uh with, with the conan thing it really isn't that weird like Maybe maybe if you if you haven't read it and you know you're just reacting to the the news of it, but in the books it's 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 weirdly normal. It's it's very weirdly normal how he kind of just has fit in so far. Um, he's a member of the Savage Avengers, but other than that, he hasn't he hasn't uh, you know it's not like he's sitting around having a beer with Iron Man or anything like that. Like he's he's there. It's a thing, but. It's not that big of a deal. Weirder, of course, would be if Darth Vader were to be in the comics, and there's been no sign of that. Uh, Phil, do you want to give us the routine uh, about how it's bad for you know one entity to own everything? Do you want to <laughs> just get that out of the way? Uh, I mean, there's a whole fucking episode where uh, Disney acquires Fox that we did. Uh, it sucks shit. It's bad. It. I don't give a shit that they're publishing books about Predator and Alien. Uh, yeah, no, uh, monopolies are bad for competition and they're bad for the country, but, you know, whatever. You can go back and listen to my whole spiel. Cool. Wow. That That is uh, episode 126 for <laughs> you listeners. And actually, we also discussed the return of Jonathan Hickman in that. It's coming back to Marvel, so wow. some added bonus there. Wow. Episode. I might go listen to that one. <laughs> um yeah i mean like this is it, i feel like this is a bigger deal because of how long dark horse has had the license um according to the ign article they've been publishing uh since 88 and 89 respectively for alien and predator yeah years so that's fucking insane right like they've been going for ages and ages um so while i think uh the point that Phil um, referenced the past episode to is obviously a good one. Um, there's something to be said for the idea of like, these have been in the same hands for so long. Like now it'll get in some new creative hands, something new will happen with it. That's potentially interesting. Um, I am definitely a fan of both alien and predator, but it's not necessarily something that I'm like itching for a comic for. Like if oh, they're good, so I, good though. I might check them out, but like, I don't know. Like, um, the the first alien is my favorite horror movie and i'm i think every other entry in the series after that is worse than the one before you aliens know? Like, is very good 
It's Aliens a different movie, is though. cool, but it's it's very different. It's an action movie, and right. like I like it for that. But you know, that's kind of it. Um, I kind of feel like both things have dried up. Um, you know, Predator is another excellent action movie. Um, you know, Predator Two is not very good. Predators was okay. That was the one. It was with all right. Adrian Brody, but for the most part, I I just kind of feel like the these aren't things that really merit franchises like the novelty was in their first like like the first thing that came out for both of them predator was an awesome like uh man versus beast kind of premise for a movie that they did uh an alien is the, the the tagline in the movie says the whole thing no one can hear you scream in space and the movie does a really good job of portraying that kind of just horror and isolation and so it's been really diminishing returns because Alien is a terrifying movie. At this point, the Xenomorph is part of is an iconic image in pop culture. It's not scary anymore. So, I, I think that yeah. Go ahead, Marco. Uh, just with respect to it being in in the comics, I, I've been a fan of of the the Alien comics. Um, I think the most recent Predator one that I read was, uh, it was like Predator versus Archie. And what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember reading. That. I do remember that. Yeah, it, it, it's good. It, it's fun. It's goofy. Like obviously that was a different novel concept, but uh, the alien stuff in particular in, in the comics realm has been very good. Um, most recently, Alien Three, which is based off the original script from William Gibson, who is going to be writing. He think he wrote the Neuromancer. Yes, um, I love that book. And and dude, like like that. That's a good. That's a really good book. Um, Brian Wood had recently read, uh, I mean, written a an Alien series. Um, it, it ended up getting canceled, but it, it was good. Like, like the comics, I think are are there. They provide that atmosphere and that aesthetic, which I appreciate. Um, to the point on it being the the movie and that being sort of the 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 very first like the inception of it and, and how much impact that had. I do think that at least in the comics, it translated well to the medium. Um, especially for something like related to horror, so I, I, I when when this came out, I was excited. Um, to whatever extent they integrate it into the Marvel universe, we'll see. I don't think that they will, but uh, as long as they can provide these stories, I'm I'm excited for that. As long as we don't get a Prometheus comic. Ugh, nah, that I one was love right. that, that movie. That was a good movie. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, so. I feel that a lot there are a lot of people who are not happy with this news, and I think that you know you kind of just have to get over it you're not you're not stopping the machine marvel Disney already owns the rights to both of these properties, yeah, and it is what it is with that that's why I didn't uh, go on a whole thing because it's like it's done, yeah right at this point it's like it's done and dusted, yeah, if you complained about it before and you're complaining about it now, it's whatever. The fact of the matter is that Marvel has done a tremendous job with the Star Wars franchise in comics. They've put out some of the best Star Wars content ever in the comics that they've done. Uh, And you just look at the track record. It's been brilliant. The Conan stuff has been very good. So I have very little doubt that their Alien and Predator content will be anything less than... Um, what we've seen with Star Wars. They threw their best creative teams and their best minds at those books. 
and the results were phenomenal. Those early years of Star Wars books at Marvel, gold. Vader down, yep. gold. All oh. that stuff. Let me ask you guys a question. Who yeah. would you want to see as a creative team on these books? Uh, I don't know. That that's a toughie. I I I I don't know. I don't know. Who who at Marvel has good horror chops right now? The first person I thought of would be like Brian Edward Hill. Why? I don't know. I feel like he'd be really good at a Predator book. Mm. I, think, I could see it. Yeah. I think Colin Bunn would be good for Predator. I mean, for Alien, rather. He's he's done previous monster stories, like horrors is bread and butter. Um, that, that'd be very cool. Maybe Al Ewing. Hmm. Oh wow! There's a, there's an there's a way to make an Al Ewing Alien book work, but I think it would it would probably be a little bit bigger than just a you know five people on a spaceship dealing with yeah. the monster thing. It, 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 his spin on Prometheus, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I thought. Uh, Maybe. I really want to see Jason Aaron for some reason in the Alien space. I don't know why that name keeps ringing out in my mind. Um, I'm more intrigued probably by the artists who could be involved in a project like this. Marvel has strong artists. David Finch, if he's up for the job, this work Ooh. he did here uh, is crazy good. And I would love to see him do a book like this. But remains to be seen. We probably won't hear anything about this again for quite some time just because of everything that's going on and how Marvel's release schedule is very relaxed. They probably don't want to put out such a massive thing with the state of comics right now. So we'll probably be waiting a while. But cool announcement nonetheless. Well, uh, one last note there is like, Sean, you were talking about how great you are, have been enjoying the Buffy stuff. And that was another thing that after it got out of Dark Horse's hand and went somewhere else that it, you know, turned around a little bit and got like a, like a kind of a, a fresh re- restart. So, I don't know. Here's hoping. Yep. Uh, guess what, guys? Chicken butt. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Boy, you sure showed me. <laughs> uh, wait, is that Kale? It did <laughs> well, that was like a Kale, kale laugh, wasn't it? That's his cackle. <laughs> Null is coming. Oh, sweet. Null, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. Go way back. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So this week, Marvel put out a teaser image that simply says, Null is coming 2020. This, of course, being a teaser for an event that will follow up on Absolute Carnage. And it's going to be a Null event. Now... You probably don't care about Noel. That's fine. Why should yeah, you? Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. Well, the internet had a field day with this announcement. Can we first talk about this font? Can we pull up this teaser image and can we talk about this font? <laughs> yeah, we can. Phil, like can we talk about this font? <laughs> it's really spooky. It kind of looks like goosebumps. <laughs> Is that Ooh. what it evokes for you? 
Uh, kind of, yeah. Right. Um, now, okay. Sean, hold on. Sean, what do you see? <laughs> well, I'm more intrigued by what you see, but let me add some context for you. Because Twitter has been the champion when it comes to this uh, this news story. So here's a tweet from Ready Cop, at Ready Cop. It says, Null literally means fuck in Norwegian. <laughs> not even like... <laughs> not even like the swear word fuck, but the actual act of fucking someone. And look at that font, now, LMAO. Are you, telling, are you telling me that Null isn't coming? Well, now I'm asking you, how do you feel about the fact that Null is coming? Dude, Null came, bro. That's the thing. Like, this whole image, like, it's just... It, it's one of those examples where you're like, how did no one in the room Pete, careful. This? Let's not get in a sticky mess here. <laughs> I don't want to gum up the works too much. Uh, but it's like, you look at this, and it's like, I'm guessing what's behind is supposed to look like tendrils or, like, spray paint or something, but it's just white goo like dripping down a wall and then it's in big drippy white letters null is coming it's like what the fuck someone someone get a damn sock that the 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 stuff behind it no came the new stuff saying dude he's here (laughs) he has arrived so marco you're the expert are those tentacles behind him no 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 so those are actually shrieks those are, those, are, those are drips. I don't know, dude. This is this is ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, I, so, goosebumps, uh, goosebumps font. Yeah, and it is a goosebumps font if it was in green. But when it's white and the word coming is there, it's very suggestive. <laughs> so I mean, as you guys, this is anyone into it? Uh, when I first heard when I first heard the news, I was excited because I actually know who is Mar- uh, who Null is. Marco is coming. That too. We should take and, this image and we should do that to it. Should write Marco is coming. Hell yeah! Oh, can we find this font? I'm pretty sure I have this font in my font library. That might be one of the months on our calendar. I don't remember. <laughs> I saw one that said uh, "Goop is coming." <laughs> uh, it, was, was the text pink? No. <laughs> go ahead marco sorry man uh no it, it popped up in silver surfer black the character it was one of the the villains that he had to fight and that was a cool battle i like the design uh when i saw this i actually didn't make the connection because it reminded me of of uh, moore's art and i was like oh shit i wonder if that would be something that that'd be interesting uh, like i could see that happening but um and I had no idea that it has anything to do with Venom and Carnage. Um, so yeah. that didn't make sense to me. This was a stroke of genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was such a good pun. I really appreciated that. <laughs> oh, my God. Phil's mind is working overtime right now. Phil, Phil did they think long and hard about this, uh, this font? Honestly, looking at it, it looks like they blew their load a little too quickly. I was gonna say it looked a little premature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it when a bit comes together. Oh boy! So, Donnie Cates, Donnie Cates responded to, you know, 
people talking about all of this, and he that said... That was a mistake. That was definitely a mistake. <laughs> Don't reply. He, he said, I got you talking about it, though, huh? And he used... <laughs> he used a gif of Harry Osborn from Spider-Man 3, where he's looking back at... And I think he's looking. He's looking back at Peter, and he's like doing that wink. Yeah, when he's eating the yeah, and he's saying so good. He used a gif of that. That's so funny. Donny Cates it's got hairy palms. I guess. Uh, I guess Donny Cates like sticky wings. Oh, <laughs> all right. That's Someone's just... always got to take it too far. Nasty. What do you mean? He put the gif up. That's not my fault. They're sticky wings. <laughs> All right. Well, we've had our fun. Uh, let's clean it up. Let's <laughs> let's clean it up for sure. Let's button up. We all have some kind of clarity now. That's good. Well, Newell is coming. Uh, <laughs> but... As it turns out, Scott Lobdell is going. Scott Lobdell has been, well, he is electing to leave his book, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Uh, He said on Instagram, I'm stepping away from only remaining freelance work on Red Hood and the Outlaws, effective immediately. Issue number 50 out in October will be my final issue. While I'm profoundly grateful for the last 10 years on a book telling the story of a tragically flawed man in search of redemption, I depart certain that my vacancy will be filled by a dynamic new voice. Hashtag Red Hood and the Outlaws. Hashtag Freelance Life. Hashtag Bye. Oh, cool. Well, exit stage left. What are you fucking snaggle puss? Yeah. <laughs> Having the mugatory. Uh, this might seem like just a, you know, a nice goodbye to a series that uh, he's loved for the 10 years that he's worked on it. But there's more to this than meets the eye because with all of the you know, sexual misconduct and assault and, you know, things, uh, all these allegations that have come out over the last few weeks, you know, we've been covering them here on this show. Scott Lobdell's name actually came up again. Uh, it had, it had come up before, uh, Bleeding Cool had published an article about him, uh, last year and his name came up again throughout this whole thing that's been going on. And uh, it looks like he's using this opportunity to get the hell out of Dodge instead of addressing what has been said about him. uh, He is just leaving now, according to Bleeding Cool, uh, they say that in April they reported that the book would be ending with issue 50 anyway, but the timing of his post coincided with uh, the return of these allegations. It was like this same day that I saw him make this announcement that I saw people talking about him as it relates to um, sexual misconduct. And if you read 
what he wrote on Instagram. He said uh, he's profoundly grateful for the last 10 years on a book telling the story of a tragically flawed man in search of redemption. It's almost like he's talking about himself. Yeah. What? No. <laughs> no. Him? Yeah. No. Yeah. So. Wait, but but hold on. If it's gonna end at issue fifty, anyway, then who is this voice that will be backfilling a now canceled book? Uh, I think what he meant was that there will be a new number one with a different, you know, writer behind it. Does he know who that person is? I don't know. It hasn't been announced, but um, yeah. The All internet, the outlaws though, out there. All the outlaws out there are gonna be so disappointed because this was such a big. That's what his. Uh, that's what the fans of the book are called. They're called the outlaws, right? They're just gonna be so devastated that this book is coming to an end. It's such a good quality book. <sighs> Scott Lobdell. Uh, doesn't have a lot of fans, at least on Twitter, because people were very happy to see him going. Uh, and that's divorced from whatever the, the allegations were, uh, just straight based on his creative prowess. Yeah. I mean, even before uh, any of the allegations, like, Kale is always fucking hated him and like get like slung shit at him on the show i wish he was here now because he'd be doing a fucking backflip <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's right I forgot. he fucking hates scott yeah. He's yeah. Fresh. <laughs> i forgot it was primarily kale who uh who had that axe to grind yeah so <laughs> it's just because like because like phil said like yeah like other people on the show have said that he sucks, but Kale will bring him up out of nowhere to be like, yeah, fuck that guy. Like, he definitely, like, has it out for him. Sometimes I bring him up just so Kale gets fired up. Just to dunk on him, yeah. Works out. Yeah, uh... I, this feels like such a weird... Like... Way to try and sidestep everything. You know, like, to me, I read this, and it feels like... Like, this was already in the, the works, right? That this was when the book was going to end. And I think, Sean, you said when you introduced this topic, like, it feels like he's taking this opportunity to, like, go away for a little while, right? And he's like, oh, like, this big point of my career just ended, and this is my last freelance work, and I'm looking forward to what comes next, but I'm going to step away and spend some time with my family right now or whatever. Like, it feels like one of those kinds of statements, even though... You know, obviously everybody's got eyes on him right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, you know, to tell you just how far back this goes with him, uh, eight years ago, Alex DeCampi, who has been very vocal on Twitter about the comics, uh, the comics pledge and stuff like that. Uh, eight years ago, she felt the need to defend Scott Lobdell on Twitter from allegations. She said... Scott sincerely believes there should be more women writers and artists at DC and has, behind the scenes, quietly been reaching out to women creators to introduce them to senior DC staff. 
So this guy you're all pasting, he is actually doing more than anyone else at the at this moment to increase the number of women making mainstream comics. So that's what she had to say back then. And then in 2018, uh, she said, look, Scott Lobdell is so well known for being a harasser that at D.C. dinners and retreats, the senior D.C. female staff all make sure he's not sat next to any new young editorial assistants to keep them yeah, safe. Yikes. So I guess he keeps getting h- hired because of the quality of his writing. Oh, wait. And then she includes a link to what I presume is some... <laughs> she, she Well, she provides a link to um, uh, another another incident about him harassing someone else, a link to that person's thread, which is a whole other can of worms. Uh, she also went on to say, uh, super important, Scott Lobdell regularly approaches attractive young female comics artists and writers via email and social media to collaborate. He tried it with me years ago. He was still doing this about three months ago when he approached an artist I work with. He is not safe. So clearly a history with this guy. Somehow Scott Lobdell managed to keep things going. Uh, for many, many years and managed to get a whole 50 issues out of Red Hood and the Outlaws. And now he is done. My question to you guys is, do you think that he will work freelance for any of the big two ever again? Or do you think this is the last we've seen of him in the mainstream? He seems like he's a bug, man. Like, he just won't go away. <laughs> Can't squash him. <laughs> I bet he does come back in a couple of years. For, like again, guy won't disappear. Yeah, I don't. I don't know because I think it really depends on what happens next. Because I, I think um, this is going to come across really cynically, but there's really no other way for me to put it. I think it's pretty clear that like the bigger comics companies don't really care. Right? Like, they don't really care if someone is an abuser or predatory or creepy or or whatever until they're called out. So, like, I look at at this Scott Lobdell situation right now, right? And it's like, okay, these allegations came up about him. You said the the report was last year, right? The first time? Uh, The the, the first time. The Bleeding Cool one. The first, the Bleeding Cool article was from last year, yeah. Right. So that came out last year, and obviously nothing happened, right? Like, he's finishing this 50-issue run that he got to do, which is something that most comic creators will never get the opportunity to do and dream of, right? Is getting a 50-issue run on a book, uh, let alone from a big two with relevant characters. Okay, so, like, and he's now positioning this in this nice little, like, sidestep, and this story is not the same story that the Cameron Stewart news was, and it's not the same news that the Warren Ellis story was. So I like, I'd like to say, yeah, no, he's probably done with big two. And yeah, he'll probably keep doing freelance and he can, you know, fund his books, his indie books on Indiegogo and whoever wants to support him will support him. Cause that's how this industry seems to work. Um, but I don't even know if the ramifications will be that bad for him. Like if he goes away right now for, two, three years or, or even one or two years and comes back on a new book. Is anyone even going to remember that this happened or say anything about it? I don't know. Also, it kind of feels like that's 
like that's kind of I feel like the move if you got heat on you you disappear for a couple of years and you come back and people just seem to forget yeah I mean unless it's like a big story right yeah like there are some people where like once it happens like you're burned you know like I think of like um like like the Kevin Spacey situation yeah but he, he might come from, back like look at he, Louis C.K. <laughs> yeah right he might he might so that's remains to be seen but like I think if you get burned publicly enough like that like that can be a mark that follows you I don't know that this is that at all though like how many people even know this or how many people that read uh Red Hood and the Outlaws like are even aware of of this you know I don't know like I think um We've talked about that in the past, about how there's a big difference between people who go to the comic book store and read a comic every week versus people who are, like, on comics Twitter or, like, in a Discord about comics. You know, like, uh, I think that's a, a big reason why, like, so much of this happens is that, like, I think that there are a lot of people who follow characters more than creators or have publisher loyalty more than writer or artist loyalty. Um, so I bet that there's a bunch of people who read that book who don't even know who the fuck Scott Lobdell actually is. You know? They like they like the Outlaws. Or they like Red Hood. Um So yeah, I don't I don't I don't know if this hurts him at all, really. If he's got the savings to go fuck off for a year or two, like he probably come back to something else with no problem. Yeah, he, he he's gonna come back, and definitely to a big two book. I think uh, this is probably not even like a few years thing. This is probably like a few months thing, a few um, hours. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it depends on how the I forget what their the name for it is, but like the comics me too thing that's been happening. Like how how long does that have echoes? Like, is there another big one? that comes soon that continues that conversation or has that wave crested and now we won't talk about it again until another big thing happens right like i think that's going to be the make or break for how long he has to go hide in the shadows before he's able to come back up and everybody forgets well i think i think to your point you you mentioned that like he like yes he has to disappear but i think also the way that he was leaving the industry is different people didn't call him out and because of that, I think that has less impact on somebody remembering that he decided to leave to sidestep and kind of to whatever extent get ahead of it without major news on, on Twitter or rumblings otherwise. And I think because of that, he's able to sort of skirt around some of the backlash that we've seen. And I, I, th- I think he'll definitely be back on, on something uh, within the next few months. Like, like if not, the end of this year, probably the beginning of next. I, I, I don't doubt that. Yeah, he'll go, he'll go do some freelance stuff. Maybe he'll fund his own book, but he's going to be back. Very cynical, but unfortunately, probably true. Yeah. That's just the way that it, this seems to go, right? Yeah. I don't, I actually don't see him working for, I don't think, I don't think Marvel would have hired him even if this wasn't being talked about. I just don't, I don't. I don't know. I don't really feel like Marvel's looking for him, but uh, I don't see him working for DC again, personally. I hope you're right. Yeah, um, he just. I don't know. He has a bad reputation on every level. Like, there's nothing. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I thought it was so interesting the one tweet you were reading from uh, Alex the Campy where where she was like, 
so has been like getting by on the quality of his writing. I'm like, I've never heard anyone say that they think he's a good writer. So I'm like, I don't know what he's getting by on. I, I think that's the joke. Well, yeah. no, I, I that's what I'm saying, yeah. right? Like, I, I'm I genuinely don't get why this dude has a career if he's at best a mediocre writer and at worst is like a fucking, you know, like a horrible person. Like, right. Why is this the guy that you're putting up and giving a 50 issue run? Like, fuck him. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's move on and let's update a story from last week about the comic book legal defense fund. Of course, we discussed that uh, they accepted the resignation of Charles Brownstein, who was the director, uh, after allegations resurfaced of an incident that he was unfortunately involved in, uh, where he was accused of uh, sexual misconduct. Um, based on Taki Soma uh, from 2005. So, you know, old allegations that have resurfaced uh, for which he, you know, has decided to step down from his position. And now, in addition to that, uh, Paul Levitz is stepping down after 16 years. Uh, Jeff Abraham and Catherine Keller are also resigning uh, they served six and seven years, respectively. They were all called out. The board was called out for not reacting, not acting on what they knew about Charles Brownstein sooner. This allegation that I just referenced isn't the only allegation against him. It's just the only one that I've seen of a of a sexual nature from Paul what Levitz. I was able to ascertain. Wow. Huh? Paul Levitz. Yeah, Paul Levitz. Wow. Yeah, you say that to say what? He's been around forever. Yeah. Like, this guy's been a big big wig in comics for, like, it feels like 35, 40 years. So to step down from the board of directors, damn. I mean, it's funny you said that. Like, I, I pulled up his uh, his Wikipedia page. It literally says he was the president of DC Comics from two from o two to o nine and worked for the company for thirty five years. There you in go. A variety of roles. When, so that's I've, not even. Whenever there's a documentary about comics, Paul Levitz is in every single one because he's such a like in terms of, of influence. You may not know his name, but in terms of influence, he's up there with Denny O'Neill. So. The Comic Book Legal Defense Fund put out a statement. Uh, in part, it says, we respect, that, we respect the decisions that Paul, Catherine, and Jeff have made to leave the board. We realize it will be a long path to earning back the trust of our members, supporters, and the industry. We recognize that it's been our inability to, re- to, to react or act at all that's been the cause of pain in our community. Even last week, when we took the necessary action in accepting Charles' resignation, our communications were stilted and clumsy. To everyone who has come forward, we haven't done justice to your bravery, and we are truly sorry. We vow to be better. Yeah, um, I think that that's, that's good. You know, it's good that they seem to want to to do better. It's good that they are vowing to, you know, improve the situation over there. Um, I think it, it might take some time for people to trust them again. Yep. Um, and that sucks. And it sucks because 
this really ought not to be about like the comic book legal defense fund serves a good purpose and it sucks that the actions of the people behind the scenes could actually affect people who really need that to exist the mission yeah 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 because i i totally feel that way like to me like this rings like super hollow and like granted i think anything they said right now would feel that way on some level because like the reveal that this organization that i think you know anybody who is connected to the comic book industry would look at as like overtly a good thing right that like you know uh so many artists and creators supported and raised money for and and all these things and like to see that that those funds are being misappropriated to support like hate groups or you know that we had a bunch of people in upper management that were you know guilty or complicit in covering up you know um like you said like the the sexual misconduct and all this stuff like it it Wait, leaves a really bad hold on i want to stop you cuz that's that's not that 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 that's not true where where uh, am i getting tripped up they they weren't they weren't hiding anything um, the the Charles Brownstein thing came out. He made a statement about it in 2005, and yes. the, the what people are reacting to is that he was allowed to stay. You're right. I apologize. I misspoke there. Um, either way, I I guess it's it's tough to take this at face value, you know, and and say like like I I want to believe that the people that are there are committed to improving the organization and moving forward and and all those things like that you know you want to take that in good faith but um with having this stuff come out and see where that money was being misappropriated and where there were things that were you know um shady behind the scenes it's tough to not look at them with a little bit of you know um like to not feel suspect about them, you know, to not be looking at them with that that increased uh, scrutiny, and I think that's fair. Like that's fine. They should have that now. Um, but I, I'm totally with you. Where I'm just really disappointed. You know, I, I wish that um, that this wasn't the case because I think that the mission of of the organization is really important, and you know, it, it's one that um, you know I think is is deserving of the support that it got uh it's just unfortunate that it seems like there were a lot of people who maybe didn't have the best intentions at the helm yeah um which fucking sucks yeah 100 percent. it's a bummer and hopefully they do they take the necessary steps to cultivate people's belief in them again because we yeah. need this to exist Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in who the next executive director is. Like, if they bring in somebody who is like a name that we know and trust, um, and it really feels like like we see action from them that feels like it matters. Uh, that that I think is the best path forward for them right now to to like fix their image. Yeah. Like, prove it. You know, do the work. You know who's doing the work? Tom King is doing Hell the work. Hell yeah. <laughs> but is the work good? This this week, I want to I want to I want to start this. This is this is great comic book tweets. And I'm going to pull tweets 
that I think are fantastic from comic book creators or people who are very adjacent to the industry. And this is, yes, this is the, this is the kickoff. This is the inaugural great tweet in comics because Tom King took on Superman, not uh, Brandon Ruth, not Christopher Reeves, not even Henry Cavill. He took on Dean Cain this week. <laughs> oh, God. oh okay. boy. Is that yes. Dean Cain? <laughs> <laughs> so oh Dean Cain was actually being interviewed on Fox News. Dean Cain is, you know, he's a Oh, he's, he's like one a born again, isn't he? Something like that. Oh uh, man, I forgot. Yeah, about he's that. right winger. And in a in a viral uh, clip from the interview. Uh, it's a two-minute-long clip. He's speaking with uh, Ainsley Earhart of Fox, and says, and he said, "I promise you, as Superman, I wouldn't today be allowed to say truth, justice, and the American way." To which Earhart replied, "Oh my gosh, you're right. You're absolutely right." So that went viral, and then Tom King replied to someone linking to this uh, video and he said motherfucker I put it in a comic this year (laughs) (laughs) love it and he includes a link to a comic uh, in which that's the case Uh, it says it's a it's a narration it's not Superman and I didn't read the book so I don't know who this character is but he says I believe in truth I believe in justice I believe in the American way so it's not Superman saying it, but it is in the comic. And I think that's fair to point out that it isn't actually Superman saying it. But uh, it looks Dean like it's Kane, a soldier, though. Yeah, I, th- I believe it is a soldier. Dean Kane actually replied to Tom. And he said, well, kudos to you. I stand corrected. I'm glad you did. What comic is that? Also, the MF part of your tweet, not necessary at all. But if it makes you feel tough, that's okay. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Bro, he's a former CIA operative. He could fucking kill you with a spoon, I bet. Are you kidding me? Like, it's not. Well, Tom wasn't shy about pointing that out. He said, <laughs> Hell yeah. Ah, the MF was an insult because you used your platform to discourage people from wearing masks, which will cost lives, the opposite of what Superman would do. I don't know if I'm tough. But I did fight for my country overseas and didn't just wear a cape in front of a camera. Damn. Oh, shit, Tom. Get in the mud. (laughs) Tom King is the ultimate savage. Yo, that's fucking great. I love that. That's so funny. (laughs) Now, I think that Dean Cain's trousers were ruffled because he went on to say... Your insult was off base because I did not use my platform to discourage people from wearing masks. I made a joke. The fact that you can't see it is too bad. Appreciate your service. Using MF in your post was ridiculous and weak. I'm happy to tell you that face to face. Oh, my God. I fucking love when conservatives virtual virtue signal and it's like, um, I can't take anything you said seriously because you said the F word. 
It's like shut the fuck up. Yeah, more people get upset. Like, <laughs> like, the the like hard right types they get more upset about profanity than like action or whatever. Any real issues? Yeah, they're like all. All I said is that it doesn't matter if uh, disabled people die from coronavirus. Okay, you didn't need to say the f word. Okay. Yeah. So shut, shut up. Let's just shut up. Let's let's have a little fun here. I just put it up on a sh- uh, screen share thing, but uh, let's oh look god, at- dude, you're messing up. You're messing up my entire. The YouTube is just. It's fine. Let's shot. look at let's look at some Dean Kane <laughs> movies. All right, we got Pure Country <laughs> Two, The Gift. Uh, so that looks like oh. a nice little movie. <laughs> Here's the God. I'm so. This is like you. Have... I'm so sorry to the YouTube viewer right now. This is just decimated everything. <laughs> they can't. They're getting like one quarter of different parts of the the poster in everyone's screen. It's awful. This movie has George Strait. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, here we have a nanny for Christmas. You can see Classic. him right here on the poster. <laughs> That, Sometimes great gifts that, come in unexpected packages. Ooh. There is heavy editing going on, by the way, in that picture. <laughs> we have The Way Home, based on the inspirational <laughs> true story. It's a family in crisis, a faith tested, a community unites. More like a community oh full of God. whites. Did you see though? That one is family approved. Yeah, Bill. it's a family approved film. Couple more here. Home Run Showdown. I gotta tell you, the Wikipedia article on this is real thin. But you know, here he is. He's a, he's a coach. <laughs> Sean, you talk about editing. This one is very edited. Wow, that is just bad. Okay, I'm sharing the screen so you can see what Phil's doing now. One more heaven or two more. Sorry, Heaven's Door. <laughs> heaven's Door. Great. Yeah, it's Good. Heaven's Dork. When you're open to faith, <laughs> miracles can happen. Here's Dean oh Kane. Just looking like a real champ. And here's Dean. Last one. This is God's- making me want to be accepted into heaven's door. I'm sick of this. <laughs> last one. God's not dead. This one was kind of famous because it was about a kid who uh, was, had a near-death experience and said he met God. And they made a movie about it. And then later the kid said he was lying. <laughs> uh, so there you go Dean Kane. That feels like exactly the kind of event that Dean Kane would make a film about So that's the guy we we're go. dealing with folks So the, the thing that Tom was referencing by the way uh, When he said that you know Dean Kane was encouraging people not to wear masks Was a tweet that Dean had said out, it's him, he's on a plane, and uh, he is wearing a mask, but he says, spent most of the day on planes breathing my own CO2. I think I may be Dane Bramaged. <laughs> oh my god. What a total dipshit. Yeah. that's. There's something yeah. so fucked up about, like, the like super reactionary right wing people are saying I can't breathe in light of the protests that have happened in the last month. It's the most tone deaf fucking bullshit in the world. You're not kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, tone deaf. I think it's intentional because I truly believe that they are all ghouls. Maybe, uh, but <laughs> this is not the place for that conversation. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to point out the fact that Tom King is a god. Tom King just fucking annihilating Dean Kane. I love it. In the most literal sense, go off King. 
I I love it. I think it's brilliant. I think this is a great way to start off the great tweet great tweets and comics segment. And we have you know we've 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 not loved all of Tom King's work, but this just might be my favorite bit of Tom King's work. It might be his real magnum opus. <laughs> Yo, there's just like there's nothing I appreciate more about Tom King as a person than when he makes conservatives uncomfortable and they come for him and he's like, "By the way, I'm a veteran." And they're like, "Oh, mm, we respect fuck. your service, sir. <laughs> I respect your service, but I'm still going to challenge you to a fight, I guess. I don't <laughs> Yeah, thanks for serving in the war, but don't say MF. <laughs> it's so it's so good. It's so fucking good, dude. <laughs> you can go risk your life to fight terrorists, but if you say MF, you're canceled. Look, I know you probably had to bury a lot of your friends or whatever, but don't curse, okay? <laughs> Shut yeah. the fuck up, Dean Cade. And I'll tell you to your face. On Twitter. I love it. <laughs> On Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> fucking keyboard warrior over here. <laughs> Thanks, Tom, for that great tweet in comics. Now, our main topic... I wanted to I wanted to talk about an article that was published by Time magazine. And I, I read it earlier in the week and it, there really hasn't been much conversation around it, but it sparked my interest because it ties into it ties superheroes into what's going on in the world, specifically in America right now with cops. And the headline of the article, written by Ileana Doctorman, is we're re-examining how we portray cops on screen. Now it's time to talk about superheroes. So, essentially, uh, and I, I think the article is worth reading. Um, whether you agree with it or not, it's an interesting point that she's trying to make. Uh, it's essentially saying that we've been cleaning up and talking about how we portray cops on television and what we you know what we're comfortable showing and things like that um and that superheroes either are kind of like cops or have good relationships with cops and that they perpetuate the injustices that are uh being you know, done across the country against disenfranchised people, you know, that the most likely people being beaten up by Batman are poor, potentially minority people who don't have access to the kinds of wealth and and opportunities that a guy like Bruce Wayne certainly has, things like that. And I want to read a little bit from the article so that you hear her own words And so that you guys can determine, you know, because we're going to talk about where we land on this thing, you know. Um, So let's see. There's 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 so much to it. And of course, it goes into the Punisher aspect and and things like that. Uh, Superheroes have dominated popular culture for the last decade. They are fixtures of the highest grossing movies and icons to more than just our children. They are beacons of inspiration. 
protesters dressed as Spider-Man and Batman have turned up at recent Black Lives Matter demonstrations. And yet, what are superheroes except cops with capes who enact justice with their powers? With a few notable exceptions, more on those later, most superhero stories star straight white men who either function as an extension of a broken U.S. justice system or as vigilantes without any checks on their powers. Usually, they have some sort of tentative relationship with the government. The Avengers work for the secretive agency S.H.I.E.L.D. Batman takes orders from Gotham Police Commissioner Gordon. Even the villainous members of the Suicide Squad execute government orders in exchange for commuted prison sentences. And even when superheroes function outside the justice system, they're sometimes idolized by police because they're able to skirt the law to get the job done. In fact, real-life police officers sometimes adopt the symbolism of these rogue anti-heroes. Of course, that goes into the Punisher stuff, which we talked about a few weeks ago. You can go listen to that if you want more on that. I'm going to skip past it because we already dealt with that. Most of the blockbuster Marvel and DC movies skirt the issue of who should define justice for whom. Captain America Civil War and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice briefly float the idea of superhero oversight, but both devolve into quip-filled CGI fistfights. In fairness, the Civil War storyline in the Marvel comics more thoughtfully plums the depths of that socio-political debate. What's more, given that the creators and stars of these movies have historically been white men, it's hardly surprising that so few reckon with issues of systemic racism, let alone sexism, homophobia, transphobia, and other forms of bigotry embedded in the justice system or the inherent biases that superheroes might carry with them as they patrol the streets or the universe. Uh, there's a lot more to this. The article goes on to talk about how we got a Black Panther movie that you know does deal with uh, what black people have had to deal with in America, and it and it struggles with T'Challa's responsibility in that, um, and it talks about Spider Verse into the Spider Verse, and how um, we got a Miles Morales movie and how great that is. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to point out that I thought was worth mentioning is. It's not just that superheroes act like members of law enforcement. Sometimes they interact with them directly. Spider-Man has long had a complicated relationship with the NYPD. Last year's Spider-Man video game received some pushback over what many critics called copaganda. In that game, Peter Parker is a fan of the police, even fantasizing about being a Spider-Cop. He spends much of the game fixing surveillance towers for the NYPD. Uh, so that's that's a fine place for us to stop pulling from the article for now. I will probably address it again later. What do you guys make of that? So I um I'd like to start taking it back to two examples that were made here, um, which is where I get frustrated sometimes with this conversation because I don't think that this conversation was is without merit. Um, and I think there are definitely examples of um, of superhero media where I think, like, particularly the portrayal of cops as, like, everyday heroes, given the context of what's being discussed, uh, is something that I, I think is worth examining, right? And, like, um, the same way that we're examining, like, TV shows that star fictional police officers and, and things like that, right? Fair play. Um, where I get upset 
when you get these kinds of think pieces, I think a lot of them come from a very top level look at pop culture. And I feel like there are a few things that, um, that were said in this article that are references to other cultural conversations we had about this where similar reaches are being made. Like to say that Batman takes orders from Commissioner Gordon is I think a stretch, right? Like in the sixties, there's the bat signal. Yeah, sure. In the sixties, it's not the sixties, it's 2020. And you know, um, from our generation, like my perception of their relationship, right. Is like, he's his inside guy. He's a cop who he knows is a good dude, who he personally knows and trusts, has the best uh, interest of the people of Gotham at heart. They both realize that they have a beneficial relationship working together because Commissioner Gordon knows that there are crooked cops in the Gotham PD and Batman, you know, needs a certain amount of intel to be able to do his job better, right? So that to me is like a very specific example of Batman having a relationship with a police officer versus Gotham PD. Take it back to the Spider-Man example. Uh, I played and loved 2018 Spider-Man, right? Um, I definitely prefer when Spider-Man has an uneasy relationship with police officers. And I definitely remember thinking in that game that some of the cops' reactions to him felt weird, right? Whereas he has, again, a relationship with a detective... Yuri, who is his person who's, like, helping, giving him intel and that kind of stuff. They're working together. Same kind of Commissioner Gordon situation. The the satellites for surveillance and stuff, fair play, right? Like, that's another weird thing. Um, but I think when people are like, oh, he idolizes the police or he dreams of being a police officer, I don't – that's not my read on that joke. There's a joke throughout the entire game where when he's talking to the police officer he's friends with, he's joking about the fact that he's spider cop and he's like giving himself this grizzled like 19, you know, 60s cop show voice. Like it's a Spider-Man bit. It's not a Spider-Man loves the police and wishes he was a police officer. That's not that's not what that is getting across. And like if you read that fine, right? Like arts about interpretation. I definitely think that that interpretation is very open to debate. Whereas I think something like Spider-Man assisting in fixing surveillance towers for the NYPD is something that I am I think is a totally fair criticism. So like I I think that when we get into these conversations, people go and reach for these examples that are not really quite accurate when there is actually better examples of I think what they're bringing up but i think to 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 that to that point <clears throat> I, I think the the general theme that superheroes are extensions of a broken system is what sort of jumped out at me because it one identifies that the police structure and the policing in the united states is in disrepair and 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 needs some sort of adjustment that these superheroes then have to insert themselves into and as as that was being read it it did it did uh color it a certain way for me because i hadn't thought of it in in that sort of way you know you sort of you sort of look at it as pretty much black and white you know he's just beating the bad guys right but to the point where these you know bad guys could be 
disenfranchised people could be people who don't have uh the the money they live in these poor neighborhoods like that's all not necessarily sim uh symbolic but it does have echoes of how policing is managed generally and and that that i that i think uh when i thought of that made me a little worried because i i again the perspective was new and and i I, it hadn't been something i considered and um obviously we're fans of of the the superhero medium and i don't think that that is what we get out of it to your point pete art is about interpretation and i don't think we interpret it that way and i don't know that most comics readers interpret it that way but um that that interpretation that you can extrapolate from those relationships i do think they're they're valid um and uh, uh to the to the everyday heroes analogy i mean i i think of when superman is uh i forgot i forgot what book we had read but superman is like standing somewhere there's like a wall of i think other heroes or firefighters or whatever and and he's pointing out to a, a police officer that um you know he's like the hero i think that that imagery can can tie the idea of superheroes and police together outside of the individual characters and i mean if 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 we if we are really thinking about it i you know the 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 villains to whatever extent are obviously they're wacky they're crazy but like if you put it into more grounded terms the first thing i thought of was uh, the spirit and he fights uh local local neighborhood crime and he typically does it in poorer neighborhoods like the original spirit was you know he was fighting robbers a lot of the time they would be uh black one of the characters was ebony white like a parody of black culture and and i i think some of that gets kind of rooted and then you sort of start to process that down the line obviously things have changed you know um but it's it, yeah it, it's sort of hard um because one, one of the things that i also thought of was our killer be killed book club there's an issue where he's he's on the train and these two bad guys come out right like one's in like a punk uniform and one guy's like a black guy in a hoodie i think and you know and and like these are the things that we that we do from an art perspective to signify that they uh that these are the bad guys and i think that imagery affects that perception as well and that's something that you see cops doing where you you can see them affecting people in these poor neighborhoods who maybe look like that and that paints that that picture and, and continues to tie that um i don't know i i i've just like, like thinking processing that that's just what's come to mind um i do ultimately disagree with the article but only because of how i interpret the the art how i interpret the stories and and interpret the characters um i think Growing up, we all have an image of what a cop is supposed to be. Cop is supposed to be someone that protects the peace, 
and puts bad guys away. And I think most people, that's what they want police officers to be. Like, there's, there's, there's an application to the police that I think most people see and they agree with. Now, the problem is where that deviates because in application, uh, police departments around the country don't really protect the peace as much as they maybe should. Another problem is that they're heavily militarized with weapons that the army use in overseas conflicts to remedy things in this country that don't merit that level of escalation. As a culture, we haven't really looked at the police as an institution until George Floyd died, until he was murdered. Because as recent as four years ago, when we would look at police brutality cases around the country, it never really led to that avenue, right? So I think it's safe to say as a culture, we looked at the police as the idealized version in perpetuity. And so whenever police were depicted in comics, they were often depicted with, I don't think, much scrutiny as just being kind of a force of justice, which inherently is what superheroes are supposed to be as well. I don't think many comics really want to tackle the concept of what justice is and the cost of justice and all that stuff. And and so you have comics where Batman works at the police department. You have comics where Superman works at the police department. You have comics where Spider-Man works at the police department because we agree on a scale they're fighting on the fi- side of justice. And Ideally, anyway. Uh, that's uh, Yeah, exactly. This is all idealized. Um... However, when we rewind 80 years ago, when we had, when we were living in a society that was more class aware, unions were stronger, mafias ran rampant in cities and bought police officers, whole departments practically, uh, people were more aware of what a bad cop was. And that's why you would see comic books where Superman would fight the police or something because the police were, they were dirty cops. And you would see that in some 70s, you know, uh, some 70s media too. But by and large, since World War II, the police were, have, were and have been a force for good. And so I think really what Time Magazine is trying to, is trying to really get to here is it, I, I don't think it matters really that there are comics where the, like the police are, are basically good guys that put bad guys in jail because I think by and large, that's how culture looked at this. And so it, it is what it is, right? Because until a few months ago, most of the country thought cops were good. And the, that's just, that's his perception. I think the real question here is looking forward. How do we approach this now? I even think recently of Greg Pak and uh, and uh, was it Andy Kubert's Action Comics run on with Superman, where Superman fights a corrupt police. But even then, they go through great measures to dictate that the police that they're depicting are very bad cops and cops are good. And that's probably a DC Comics mandate because that's just like you know at the at the time of like Colin Kaepernick kneeling and stuff. That was like a deep culture war of people saying like you know. The stuff's disrespecting our institutions that protect us. It's only now that we're really approaching this and saying and scrutinizing it for the how problematic it is. 
So I think looking forward, I think that's I think that's where publishers, writers, and artists really have to look is how do we approach this with more scrutiny? Because I think it's more evident now as we look around the entire country that as as we know it, the police as an institution is foundationally broken and has been for a long time. And calls for defunding the police are getting more and more momentum because obviously things like having a police officer deal with a, uh, you know, a person like a personal dispute in a house is inherently an escalation pulling over uh, a black guy driving who has done nothing wrong except maybe going over a speed limit. And it, like his color of his skin is like the real inciting incident for why they're pulling over. These are things that maybe don't merit a formal police officer, right? We're having these conversations and I don't, I think time magazine is saying there's no reason why comics and movies about comics can't do the same thing. I have so many things to say. Uh, this article frustrated me and it set me on fire. And it's because I feel like there are a few things at play that, first of all, I think she probably unintentionally misrepresents a lot of things. Pete pointed out some of those uh, misrepresentations or misinterpretations of what is happening there's no way like i don't know how you could possibly look at the relationship between batman and jim gordon and say that he is taking orders batman's not a cop batman does not take orders from jim gordon in fact more often than not he does what jim gordon says to not do and takes what jim gordon tells him and then goes and does something crazy that jim gordon has to deal with also Batman does not like bad cops at all. Batman is probably more distrustful of cops than criminals because he already knows what to expect from criminals because they are criminals and they do bad. Look at the Gotham criminal justice system. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas Gotham City is overrun by bad cops. And there are so many stories about that that it's impossible to count. So I wish that... You know, Ileana had read more of those things to understand that that's just not true. Um, But there's a bigger thing at play. It's annoying to me that white America has now woken up to the problem of police and decided, okay, wait, a black guy got killed by cops? Whoa, (laughs) police are awful. (laughs) Get over yourself. This is something that's been happening in the black community for decades. We already know that police are corrupt. We already know that there are racist police. And we already know that the justice system is not built to support innocent black people. Or to protect even guilty black people from undue harm, right? Because just because you commit a crime does not mean you have to die for it. We have a system to determine that. It's not supposed to be determined by a cop with a gun. That being said, just because you figured that out now doesn't mean that the world has to change because of your revelation. And this is what the problem is. 
This is what always happens. Because white America feels that they run the world, anytime they have a revelation, everything has to change, right? There is possibility for nuance in this conversation. Spider-Man is allowed to like cops. He can like cops. He can also do his part to get rid of bad cops, which also happens. But that doesn't mean that he can't like them in the video game or have a relationship with good ones in the video game. It's a fair assumption that if Spider-Man likes a cop, it's probably a good cop. Why? Because Spider-Man gets chased by cops all the time. Spider-Man listens to the police radio all the time. He probably knows more about what the cops are doing than the cops do. So there's nothing wrong with Spider-Man liking a cop. That's a ridiculous thing to point out, quite frankly. For him to fix the radios or whatever, why not? Most of the time, police are operating to try to help people. There are bad cops. There are cops that kill people, and that's awful. There are cops that do other bad things that shouldn't happen, and we can talk about that. But we can talk about that without saying that there are no good cops on earth, right? When we're talking about Black Lives Matter, no one wants to hear all lives, right? We're talking about something specific. We're talking about bad police. The Spider-Man video game just isn't representing bad police. It's the reality of that video game. When it comes to uh, Marco's point about the way that people outside of comics view superheroes, well, I got a newsflash. If you don't know about a thing, you don't have to have an opinion about it. And I'm not saying this to disrespect the person who wrote this article because I believe that they did it in good faith. But the fact of the matter is that all this article displayed to me is that this person does not have a nuanced understanding of the medium and the content that they're speaking about. Because you can't be a fan of comics and say that comic books objectively support police. Most of the time, that's not what I see. Daredevil fights cops. Batman fights cops. Spider-Man has fought cops. Um, We've seen the X-Men constantly mistreated by the government and by police. It just so happens that the police cannot harm the X-Men for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. The Civil War comic book dealt with this very topic expertly. There are so many examples of the opposite that this article does not point out. Right. And I think that is where my initial criticism came from, right? Where it's like I I'm I'm with you, where like I feel like this as a as a talking point is it's worthy of discussion. Like I think it's worth examining how we portray police officers and and, and everything like that. Right? Like I, I think that that's a valid point to bring up uh in twenty twenty. Right? Like let's re examine this. Fine. I think where you lose me is when you cherry pick and misrepresent some of the cherry picked examples that you make without acknowledging, you know, how many books or or different depictions of characters have, you know, uh, looked at things in the opposite way. Um, and I think 
that's something I get frustrated by when anyone who's outside of comics makes commentary on superheroes um, because you're coming with like an inherently, um, I don't want to say bias, but like you're, you're coming with uh, a viewpoint that is not representative of the whole of, of what has been said and how characters have been used and, and whatnot. Right. Cause like Phil always brings up, he brought up earlier in this conversation. The earliest Superman stories have him fighting corrupt cops. So, like, that that's a huge thing that was a core central part of the ideation behind the character. And that's the same character who early we talked about. His slogan is truth, justice, and the American way. Right? And that was a book where he fought corrupt cops and bankers and, you know, like, fucking... Uh, people who beat their wives and all like it's like they were in that same category right of bad guys was bad cops and that you you can't you can't divorce one from the other you can't say batman's friends with jim gordon so he likes the police while there are dozens of stories about batman fighting corrupt cops and i think to say that they're an extension of a corrupt justice system also to me ignores uh, I think the point of a lot of superhero books, right? Because what is why is Batman Batman? Because he was a victim of a crime. His parents died, and there wasn't a police officer there to help him. And the, his parents' killer was never brought to justice, right? The dude's still out on the street when he's a grown man. Like that is why Batman exists. Is because the the system is corrupt, and the Gotham PD particularly is. You know, uh, there's a, a straight fucking line from you're on the street, you get arrested, you go to jail, you're back on the street doing the same shit again. Like that, that's the world he lives in. And there are plenty of commentary that's that's against the police. And I think you can look at uh, examples of any of these characters where there's bad examples of stuff that is copaganda and it is overtly pro-police in a way that maybe it shouldn't be when there's just as many that are taking them to task and trying to be critical. So I think, to Sean's point earlier, I think in the real world, I get why we feel like right now is not the time for qualifiers, right? It's not the time for those things. I think when you're talking about art, like, there's absolutely room, uh, so much room for compromise and nuance because we are supposed to be presenting an ideal world, right? Like, the, like superhero stories are not realistic, and I think like presenting uh, a scenario where there are um, where there is a, a character who has a relationship with a good police officer is not that is not a, a ringing endorsement across the board of oh superheroes are cops and they all love cops and they all work with the police like it's just not how it works. I think to one of your last points on um, uh, the, the them being an extension of the system, I think that also inherently means that because they are that extension that something is failing and they have to fill that void and if they fill that void they have to it, to some extent automatically be against not necessarily against but be something that has to attempt to fix that system they and and be able to uh have uh, like a back and forth, like a, a dialogue with with it, because you have to operate under a different set of rules 
and you have to operate under uh different different like presumptions therein and that that in and of itself is something that it's not anti-cop but it is it, it does put into question where they they lie and typically that's not on the the side of like quote-unquote like the law um but but their mean the means and the end goals are all they're they're as best as they can be altruistic and and ultimately try to do the right thing um with that i have to bounce guys this was fun damn um but yeah uh i'll catch you guys later thanks marco take care marco happy fourth mr marco animoto on instagram and twitter (laughs) <laughs> um, damn and he's and like that he's gone word. <laughs> you, that's right if you say his twitter and instagram handle he poops out of thin air something that really stood out to me is something you said sean which is you know a, a black person dies in a very uh it's you know very center stage everyone in the country sees hears it it's 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 a it's a cry for justice right and and all of a sudden every white person in the country is that that was a fun cry for justice but not <laughs> Um, is 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 clamoring for for reform and stuff and you know part of me of course is glad i mean all of me is glad that now now everyone is paying attention and wants positive change but the issue is when it's like token change like people are are asking for things that don't actually something that isn't really consequential i guess so you know you'll see things in new york where they'll paint a a mural or something instead of actually doing something about like the budget of the police in the city uh you'll see things like this uh constantly so you know a part of me does think it's important to to push back on propaganda and media because it is don't get me wrong or it's it's important to approach this with nuance and 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 something that's thoughtful but ultimately the the other part of me kind of rubber bands back thinking like this isn't the most important thing the most important thing is actually having sweeping legislative change around the country and cities around the country on actual police reform and and approaching what defunding the police actually means which despite protests around the country most cities aren't even taking seriously still Yeah, absolutely. And this feels like that. This feels like, okay, cops are bad. Well, uh, how are cops shown in comics? Because we got to make sure that um, people are not seeing cops portrayed in a good light because that might make more cops or it might make it too hard to realize that cops are bad. And that's bogus, man. I grew up knowing that cops are bad. So when I see, yeah, when I see cops portrayed in comics i'm not thinking oh man i can't believe that you know they're they're showing me good police this is bs you know my i've had family members who have had bad i've had bad run-ins with cops this i don't want to see this crap no i have the ability to say those cops were bad jim gordon is good batman has relationship with jim he has a bad relationship with other police Batman nuance. has pointed out many times that Gordon is like the good cop that he knows. Furthermore, it's important to note that 
it's very important to defund the police, but the stuff that Jim Gordon and Batman are specifically dealing with are things that probably merit the attention of a police force because it's serious, like serial killing type crime. Right, like or like like crazy gang related activity where they're like fucking blowing up hospitals and shit, you know, like it's it's domestic terrorism sometimes. Right, there is, and and, and that's again like the lack of nuance. Are you really going to sit here and tell me that there's no scenario in which you would like there to be a law enforcement officer present? That's crazy. If your answer Not is at yes. all, right? It, it's yeah. just nuts. So I don't. I don't believe I don't believe that comics or superhero movies have a problem with the way that they depict cops. I think starting from that angle is weird. And I, I also don't believe full stop that um comic book characters are a direct extension of police. That's yeah, I don't agree wild. That. Comic book characters for the most part are vigilantes. Which is illegal. And very often, probably more often than not, the ones who operate closest to the streets are actually chased by cops. And don't have. Yeah. They they don't have good relationships with cops. And if you want to be educated about that, there are so many Daredevil comics you can go ahead and read. So many Batman comics you can go read. Heroes for Hire. So many. Yeah. Luke Cage. the like i think it's funny like the punisher example too right where it's like well think of how many panels are of punisher like throwing a cop off a roof or dangling him by his ankles right. or some shit you know like the issue with him is perception and how people relate to him right. and we talked about that so yeah yeah but but he's anti that as well he's anti bad cop right and there are no comic book characters that i have ever seen who are pro bad cop, right? This argument almost sounds like, because again, if you're saying all cops are bad and there are no good cops at all, then that would make a person think that Spider-Man is pro bad cop. But every depiction you see of him having a good interaction with a cop, that cop is depicted as a good person. That cop, that one cop, uh, Sean, actually, so, Lex Luthor, the greatest hero in all of the world, he has some police under his budget, and you know maybe some of what they do is questionable, but it's for a greater good. <laughs> so, Sean, I did want to uh, pose a question to you. Yeah. Um, that I, I thought I thought it was interesting. Um, so you you made the point earlier, right, where uh, you as a Black American don't feel like you need comics or, or any media to tell you that cops are bad, right? You also made the same point where I feel like a lot of white Americans are having that that moment now, you know, of, of really, like, coming to grips with how bad things are, right? That it's not a few bad apples, that it's a systemic problem with the police. Um, what do you think about about, I guess, the whole copaganda point through that context, right? Of, like, do you think that there is value in um, reexamining the ways that we kind of seemingly exclusively, um, in a lot of media anyway, comics aside, right? Like, portray cops as heroes rather than a more nuanced uh, approach um, of that 
there are cops that are good people, but the system is bad, right? Or or what have you. Like, I, I guess, do you think for people who are already like in that mindset and have that kind of baked into so much media that it's been reinforced and, you know, you grow up going to school thinking if you're in trouble, find a police officer, like those kinds <laughs> of things, like. Do you, but that right? That's what I'm saying though. Like I think to white Americans, that's their experience. Do you think that that media is important for people who have that mindset, or for media to like grapple with that because of people who have that mindset? That's a really good question, and I have an answer. So I guess that these people have been living under a rock. Yes, because <laughs> yeah, there is so so much media that already does that that already presents cops in a more nuanced light and it goes as far back as the 90s uh you watch shows like for example the wire the wire one of the greatest tv shows of all time has a stable of cops who are the main characters and criminals who are also the main characters and the point of the show one of the points of the show is to show you that neither one of those groups is as black and white as you would think they are. The cops suck often, whether as people or at their jobs, and the criminals have values and morals and things that they stand for and families and things that if you don't have the ability to think critically about things, you would be surprised by. So that's one example. The Sopranos has almost exclusively corrupt cops. All the cops on that show just want to be friends with Tony or have some bad thing going on with them or whatever. Uh, New York Undercover deals with, I could go on and on. New York Undercover has two minority cops. One is black, one is Spanish, and they deal with corruption inside the police force in very many episodes of the show. There are so, so many. The Shield. The Shield is another example. The Shield is only about corrupt cops. That's what that show is about, right? We've had corrupt cop media since the 90s, and I don't get where this mentality is coming from that the media is overrun with copaganda. I'm not telling you that those are the only things that exist. There are so many. Now, granted, we also have had shows like Cops, Yep. Cops. Which is real fucking police officers. Which, which is, is real police officers arresting real people, right? Live, Live PD. Live show. PD is a great example. Um, right. Those shows should not exist. Hardcore propaganda. Right. But I actually don't think the reason that they shouldn't exist is because of the propaganda. I think the reason they shouldn't exist is because it trivializes things that are way, way more important than your entertainment at 8 p.m. Those things are very serious and they shouldn't be shown as entertainment because that is where you get people having skewed understandings of what we're dealing with because it's actually real, um. right? Jim Gordon is not a real human. Neither is Batman. But when you watch cops, those are real cops. Right. Yes. 1,000%. Um, another another issue is, you know, there are people who are good people that go into the police. But the, yes. the, the thing that's problematic is not 
those individuals who are good people it's 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 the lack of accountability right and this is the stuff that you don't see in media as often and maybe you will in a show like the wire because the wire is like a really smart show problem is you say people are living under a rock i think a lot of people are living under a rock and don't watch things like that because they're not interested in things like that they'd rather turn into a life yeah they don't want to be challenged so you know you got a guy who kills an innocent black person and as evidence leading into the george floyd case officers aren't convicted for things like that. There is no accountability because oftentimes the city DA is also in bed with the police. One hand washes the other and there's absolutely no accountability. So I'm not trying to circle back here, but it's just the, the, the thing is we need real life institutional change. Then maybe something like portraying a police officer in positive light won't be as questionable or problematic because we've actually taken the time as a society to root out the things that are rotting city police around the country. But again, that is a real thing. A real that thing. That really has to happen. Yes. Right? And if you want to know about that, you should read a book. You should read an article. There's lots of smart people out there who have talked about this and they've been talking about it for a very, very long time. You should not be looking to your television to learn about that. Oh. You shouldn't. Spider-Man Why told me cops are bad, so cops are bad. <laughs> well, TV told and, me cops are bad too, to be honest with you. Fair. But I, that, That's the thing though, right? Is like I, I definitely agree with you, right? I'm asking that question like I think for people that aren't on the same page as us, right? Because there are so many people that are not going to go read a book and are not going to do that legwork and like – their worldview is so decided by the media that they consume, you know, which is like why I guess I think it's an interesting talking point, even though I, I agree with you that it's certainly not a solution, right? But, like, uh, no, go ahead, Sean. So if that's the case, which I agree that that is the case that there are, and Phil said it too, that there's people who would rather watch live PD or Fox than News. watch the wire. Right. Well, their worldview is decided. Yep. And I am very, tired of this idea that we have to change and sanitize and alter everything for people who don't get it right if you don't get it that's fine okay just because people have misinterpreted say the bible since it was written doesn't mean that the bible has to be thrown out it means that those people do not get it that's it that's all it means People not getting that – like I've – yo, I have watched so many episodes of Cops and Live PD. Like so many, right? Those shows are trash. They shouldn't exist. I watched it. I don't have a problem understanding that what I'm watching in the moment is not good, right? Sure. Other people can't do that. Sure. That's their own problem, Right. And I, and I go back to what I said earlier, that now that we've had this great awakening, it's, again, w- white people figure something out. It's time to change everything. It's time to change the world. Well, how about Vince you? Man. <laughs> how about you change your community? Change the, the thought process of the people around you. Stop relying on the media and the government to fix a problem that you can fix. You can fix it. If you fix real world problems and, and, and elect people who will actually 
call for significant reform in many of societal's ills, you'll see that reflect in media as well. And I understand that as as a whole, there's a lot of really fucked up things happening. Hell, you know, we see the Avengers, which are like a paramilitary organization funded by the government in the movies and in some comics. You know, if we put less, we are seeing more and more pushback on how fucked up paramilitary actions are in our country. Put more and more pressure on the real world flaws in these things and you'll see it reflect better in the media. That was another thing that was extremely frustrating about this article. It makes the point that the Avengers are funded by S.H.I.E.L.D. First of all, most of the time, that's not true. Most of the time, they're funded by Iron Man or some, you know, mystery person or whoever. Most of the time, they're not funded by S.H.I.E.L.D. And in the very same movie that this person called out for turning into a quip fest, they specifically argue over the fact that they know that if they work for uh, Thunderbolt Ross, right, he's going to eventually make them go and be Avengers in places that don't want the Avengers and that he will be deciding who needs avenging. Sorry, uh, who needs avenging and that that's wrong. The movie makes that point. So why would that be an example of a movie? Because the movie makes jokes that's what those movies do and you shouldn't be looking to those movies for your what your morality is but if you <laughs> sure, do right. the movie tells you what the answer is also not to mention um yeah i think probably the most uh significant example of the avengers being a paramilitary organization is in the ultimate comics which obviously the films take a lot of inspiration from and guess what the ultimate comics overtly say that that's a bad thing um, Captain America is like a crazy Republican war vet who becomes president and it's horrible. Like it doesn't like, it's all bad, right? Like most of those characters are portrayed as bad people or like black ops, military fucking murderers who they put a fucking suit on. So like, again, like, are you really like, it sounds, it sounds to me like you're reading past the themes to make a point and they're not things that I don't understand how you could pull out of the work, but it very much feels to me like when I read a review from someone who feels like they have an agenda or they feels like they have an axe to grind. And I don't mean that in like a, oh, you have a political agenda way or whatever, but like you're setting out to make this point about superheroes. So you are finding examples that fit your narrative versus uh, like really, really examining them for what they are and what they're saying and, and, I think that to me is um, like I don't mean to to be disrespectful to the author, but I think that that it's lazy, you know. And and whether it was done in good faith or not, um, there's a lot that you can critique about the positions taken in that article. Not to mention that most comic book like comic book creators are notoriously liberal, right? Like <laughs> notoriously, For the most part, right? Yeah, I mean, come on, but. There was one last thing from the article that I wanted to bring up before we close this out, and it relates to Watchmen. Uh, The writer... The show? uh, Both, actually. Okay. The writer says, but the superhero property that most directly engages with corruption and policing is Watchmen. In Alan Moore's 1986 graphic novel, 
Vigilantes who believe they have the right to fight and live by their own moral codes often prove themselves despicable bigots or megalomaniacs. One particular image of so-called heroes confronting a riot looks an awful lot like the recent videos we've seen of police officers shooting rubber bullets and tear gas at protesters. Still, the comic was a product of its time and its storylines have not all aged well. The, the the article goes on to talk about the HBO's Watchmen. All it's all it says is that HBO's Watchmen is a good example of you know taking a story that didn't do a good job of showing a nuanced perspective and doing a better job somewhere else because it tackles racism and stuff like that. That is a fucking idiotic point. And every other example. I think there there was like woeful ignorance in some of those or willful ignorance in some of those, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But that is such a overt not understanding what Watchmen is about or like proving to me that you haven't read it. That's, that's um, right. If that's your takeaway. Right, because the entire point of Watchmen is that all of these people who are called heroes are fucking bigots and megalomaniacs and shitty people. That's the fucking point of the book. And it exists as a critique of those things, not to glorify them. And to say that it has aged poorly, like, shows that you don't understand what it's trying to say or that you didn't try. Very antithetical to Alan Moore's entire philosophy. Yeah. Like, if you know anything about Alan Moore, like, that's so... Like... He's so obviously showing you, hey, this is a thing that you regularly glorify in this medium, and it's not good. She That's actu- the fucking point. It's she, a deconstruction. She actually says, uh, more story ultimately becomes a tale of white men fighting over power. That's fucking not. And it's that's like, so missing the point. This is this is the problem in this con- in these conversations. You can't have. You can't have read Watchmen and honestly say that that's what Watchmen was about. It's not. No, it's just it isn't like that to me feels like uh, a very similar boiling down of like when um, there was like the the Democratic race. Right. And it's like, oh, we're down to just two white guys. And it's like, yeah, but one of them is trying to give you free health care and the other one established the racist police system that we have right like it's like sure you can boil down that the watchman is about white powerful white men arguing over power sure yeah but that doesn't mean that's if a that's good all thing. you take away from it that's like a super fucking shallow reading of the work what'd you say phil no i was, just, I was going with you you're good yeah phil I, speak I, on this though um i think sometimes I think sometimes we there are people who parrot talking points without really focusing on the actual important details. Um, For instance, I think most people acknowledge that it's important that we scrutinize a white patriarchy that exists in the world because that's true and that is a problem right and i think a lot of people specifically people who are liberal can identify this and recognize this because it's very easy to see it's it's not complicated most of the government is run by white males 
most corporations are run by white males. Most of the world is fucked up. They can draw a line very simply, right? The problem is when you don't actually give it more scrutiny than that. Um, so when something, say, is scrutinizing that and you can't recognize that it's scrutinizing that. To Pete's point, when you have a political candidate who is an old white male who's running on a platform that is meant to franchise, disenfranchise minorities and women and provide... Uh, benefits to people who can't access them the real crooks of the issue here and this speaks to the black lives matter movement right now that white people are trying to co-op is that it's ignoring the very fundamental issue of class class is such an intrinsical part of everything that's happening and it's why people really struggle to say okay a good example is we had a black president for eight years. And for a lot of people, they cheerleaded that because they couldn't scrutinize it beyond the fact that, oh, we have a black person as president. Without actually acknowledging the problematic things that that black president did. Because, again, it comes back to class. That black president was at this point is a billionaire who will vie for the interest of other billionaires. Most black people in America are very poor because of racist uh, just a racist class structure that's been implemented since the foundation of the country. So when you don't actually acknowledge the class barriers that exist, you're ignoring a fundamental issue that exists. And so when you have someone that's penning this article and doesn't actually pay attention to things beyond just black and white and male and female, which again are problems without acknowledging the other fundamental elephant in the room, you have something that is extremely inherently tone deaf right absolutely absolutely um and it ignores what i think is is often discounted as well which is human's ability the human ability to be whatever you're going to be outside of your race and so often even on the left right which is supposed to be super open and liberal people get put in boxes. Barack Obama isn't a good person because he's black, right? He wasn't the best candidate because he's black. Um, he actually has, you know, done things that aren't great. And we can talk about that, right? It's not racist to acknowledge the things that he's done poorly. It's also not, um, it's not white men in power fighting over power when you have the ultimate conclusion of a story that is so much more nuanced than that come down to white guys. Yes, they're white. What else did you notice? That's not the only point. That's not even the most relevant point. If Rorschach was black, is he a different character? No, because the things that the things that Rorschach does, the things that he believes, the things that he's experienced can happen to anybody, does, does, not just a white guy. Does what? I also, I think there's. Hold on. Does ahead, does what Rorschach do? So Rorschach has very fundamentally libertarian, problematic libertarian values in that story. He submits his journal to a far right wing ideological magazine publication. However, if Rorschach's black in that story, does that make him a hero because of his skin color? No, he's right. still an extremely problematic character. 
And that's nuanced. Alan Moore is not saying he's a hero or a villain necessarily. He's introducing a complicated character. And based on how culture reacted, he's divisive. Also, like, I think it's it gets really frustrating to me when people criticize media. for Because, right, so the earlier part of this conversation about propaganda and the, the – um, depiction of police in, in the media, right? We're criticizing works for not being representative enough of the real world. In the real world, cops are, you know, um, the, the system is corrupt and there are a lot of bad police officers and there's a lot of nuance in the discussion around good cops versus bad cops and what that means and great. And we're complaining that media is not taking it to task. But then in the same breath, we'll complain about media that is dealing uh, in spaces or conversations that are overwhelmingly dominated by white men and then being like, well, this story is all about white men. It's like, well, yeah, I thought we all agreed that corrupt white men rule the world. So why wouldn't a story about corrupt people who rule the world be about white men? Like, that that's the same fucking conversation, right? Like, do you want the media to be representative of the world or not? And like... I, I feel like there are a lot of conversations that come up around that, you know, like when there's like certain depictions of like violence against women, right? Where it's like there are some depictions of viol- violence against women that is overtly, you know, um, from a male perspective and it's very like masturbatory and it's like it, it is like cheap, right? But then there's other depictions of, uh, of violence against women where like something like the girl with the dragon tattoo, right? Where like it's trying to say something about violence against women, and I think, like, there are a lot of people who are quick to just be like, well, that, you shouldn't depict that. That's bad or that's wrong. And it's like, well, like, no, like, how is it, like, what is the point of it? What is it trying to say, right? And, like, in Watchmen, it's trying to say that a bunch of these crazy, some ways powerful and some ways not. More influential. Um, but these influential white men fucked up the world and are still fucking up the world. That's a huge part of what that book's about. You know, and, like, that... That's commentary about the world as it was in that, that that at that time and still is in so many ways 40, 30 years later. To say that Watchmen hasn't aged well is just odd. I really I I mean, you gotta be kidding me. The, you haven't read it. The was, last Go ahead. That was the whole point of the show being made, is that it's as relevant now as it's ever been. The last point, thank you, that I wanted to make um is simply this. The writer and and many others, to be fair, have criticized the original Watchmen in light of the new Watchmen for not including a diverse cast and for not dealing with issues of race and that the new Watchmen is superior because it presents race as an element of the story. In fact, the central... uh, problem in the story is one of of racism systemic racism in the country but here's the thing and i'm saying this again from the perspective of someone who a is black and b loves the watchman's show the hbo's watchman alan moore's watchman is not problematic and it's not bad for not talking about race for the simple fact that that's not what Alan Moore was talking about. He was talking about something else. So 
why should Alan Moore have to talk about race in a book where that's not the subject? Does he have to talk about every single thing that's ever happened that's bad? Does he have to talk about everything that's currently bad? Should he have included something about Hitler? Should he have included something about uh, sexism? How many things does Watchmen have to be about to satisfy every single person on Earth, right? It's a story about something specific that cannot include everything. And that's why we have more than one story. Watchmen is not the only comic. Watchmen is not the only story that's ever existed. If you want something about race, there's other places for that. That's not what he was talking about. Like the show. Great sure. job. Did a great job with it. Well, <laughs> Plus, I, that, that's there's, what, also, that's what, there's also the angle of that. That's what people are saying, ahead, though, Pete. That they're saying, oh, I'd rather watch the show because it has that. Yeah, but like they're ta- they're different. That's like Sean's whole point. It's like they're they're different and they're both good because they address different things. Also, there I think there's something to be brought up here where like it's it's another conversation where people want to have their cake and eat it too, right? Where we'll say like uh, Alan Moore's an uh, a white British dude. What the fuck does he? What the fuck is he the person to write about the black experience in America or like the problem of systemic race in America, a country that he didn't move to until he was in his like 20s or 30s. I don't think he ever moved like, here, did he? I thought he lived here during No. It doesn't I think matter. he still lived in England that whole time. So, even there then, right? Why is that his story to tell? Spoiler, it's not. And if he had, now we'd be we'd be looking at it and being like, "Oh, who the fuck was he to say that?" Or, "Oh, here's how he got that wrong." Because that's not his experience and that's not his story. Okay, great. So what are we doing? What does Kale always always um, make fun of Mark Wade for? He always says, oh, Mark Wade, the guy who writes teenagers. Like he gets that, yeah. you know? Yeah. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And I think that it's it's really high time that we stop painting with a wide brush and start with nuance. That's the key issue. You know, the the problem is that people have said all cops are good, right? But then the opposite of that is also bad. The problem is that we never want to have the middle ground conversation that required that's the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing to do is to have a nuanced conversation because it requires that you actually know what you're talking about. So this has been a conversation where we say to the writer of this article, uh, you know, that with all due respect, this is inaccurate. Ileana Docterman, you did a good job. The article's well written. And I, like I said, I think you writ, you wrote it in good faith, but there's just no nuance present in this article. And we need nuance. We need that badly to progress as a society because without it we will always have all cops are bad all black people are bad all spanish people are thieves that run around with knives because we accept the narrative that's being fed to us without questioning it or trying to create our own idea of what's true and what's not so i ask that if you're going to critique anything You do so from an informed perspective that doesn't simply try to fit the narrative that you already have because that's what's failing in this country. So that's going to do it for our conversation. We solved racism. 
We solved racism, everybody. <laughs> Leave it to us. We can solve. Didn't other even take two hundred episodes. I'm yeah. really proud. Yeah. What's next? Sexism. Let's do it. Uh, five. Five. Sexism. Days. That's an excellent. Yeah. Yes. That's that's uh, episode two ninety four. <laughs> or one ninety four. I'm sorry. We're coming for you, patriarchy. You're next. Yeah. So thank you for uh, being a part of that conversation. Let us know your thoughts about this Time Magazine article. We will link to it. If you do read it and you happen to disagree with the writer, I do want to say, uh, and not not to say that I think our our listeners are like that, but please don't go and uh, harass this person or you know spew venom at this person. I think it's good to have a discourse. I think the conversation is totally fine. And I think if as long as you're within bounds, um, it's it's perfectly okay to you know express your disagreement. They but, started uh, a conversation. Right. Don't make it yeah. personal because it's not. Right. Like express your disagreement in a way that's respectful and that's polite, you know? Like that's that's uh, it's totally fine to disagree on this issue. We disagreed with her article. I you know um, and we attacked some of her logic, but I don't. I don't think it was at all in a way that was like pointed or disrespectful. And like that to me is like that's what this show's all about. It's about having the conversation. Like her opinion, you know, um, whether or not you agree with it, like it's worth listening to. It deserves as much space as this conversation. Anyone else's? Yeah. yeah right. Um, exactly. And we're here to point out the flaws in that opinion. We're gonna own but nevertheless. It. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to have a conversation with us about this or anything else we talked about on the show, you can get us at thecomicspals@gmail.com. We're on the socials at thecomicspals. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can leave us a like, drop the comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. So do that. And while you're at it, come join our Discord, where we are always having really good, nuanced conversations about all sorts of things. And it's a lot of fun. We got our Killer Be Killed book club out now. Go check that out. It was a lot of fun. Very good stuff. And uh, we'll be hitting you with another another one of those at the end of July. With that, Yo, let's get into the Don't forget, ahead. if you haven't gotten Killer Be Killed, that image bundle, 18 bucks, oh, yeah. get that and like fucking... Like literally, like it's like two thousand dollars worth of comics or something. Go hook yourself up. That's a yep. great deal. Let's do the plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come chat with me about what you are reading, writing, playing, listening to, making. What what are you up to these days? How are you staying sane in this quarantine world? Um, I wanna I wanna hear about it. Um, come chat with me. So uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can head over to LootPots.com where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, as well as the Patreon-exclusive show After Dark, uh, which you can get for a buck. Um, so if you want some more podcasts from me, that's a great place to do it. All right. Phil. Check out Marco. We mentioned before, Mr. Marco Animoto on Twitter and Instagram. Kale, it's his birthday today, two days, after, uh, two days before this episode drops. Uh, so go wish him a happy birthday in the Discord. Uh, and you can find him at Toto and Toe, and uh, you can find his comics and Comicsology for free. So go check those out. Uh, Panels Publishing, or Panels Comics rather. Uh, and then for me, Cyborg Bebop, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yeah, uh, I started watching My Hero Academia. You can talk to me about that if you want. Hmm. Bro, we got to get Sean in on this. Nope. <laughs> nope. I am on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about this article if you have thoughts because I haven't been able to 
stopped thinking about it since I read it. And I really, really would love for us to be able to move forward as a people, being able to have a civil, more nuanced discourse about everything. And my Twitter is a great place to do that. So come chat. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. So he's got a movie called Vendetta that Dean Cain stars in with The Big Show. He has a movie called Airplane vs. Volcano. That came out in 2014. A movie called The Perfect Husband. <laughs> Last one. He has a movie called Andy the Talking Hedgehog with Tara Reid.